Blog Talk Radio. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of And good afternoon, everybody. It's Monday night. It is the 16th day of November. We're almost to Thanksgiving. A ton to be thankful for. But tonight, oh, tonight, we are thankful for Southern Sports Central. I'm Richie. I'm alongside Eugene Bitt. going to come at you for three solid hours. We've got three solid guests and a ton of topics to cover in tonight's event as we, of course, be joined at 630 by the legendary, the big man himself, Kevin Billadu, he will do it all right here at 6:30 with, of course, the crew, CBS Sports and Live Five Sports out of Charleston. Then at seven o'clock, the bus will take a road trip. We'll land in that well, Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll check in with the guy that played college football over at Penn State. We might not talk about his Nittany Lions. It's not a good conversation around his house, but he will talk college football, and that is Reginald Walker Jr. A lot happening. We'll get into that in just a few. And then at 7.30, we get deep into the rest of the South Carolina high school playoffs. And we'll talk some Gamecocks with Lou Bezjak. He works with the state paper. He'll be joining us at 7.30. And then we will also go through and start maybe, and I said maybe, pick out a few games out of the classification of five and four tonight. We'll save the three, two, and one for Wednesday night, well, we'll welcome in our guest picker of our Wednesday night show, and that will be uh, a guy that you guys may know and you remember, Art Craig. He is the Hanahan Hawks head football coach. He may join us tonight, but he definitely will be in here with us on Wednesday night to give us his picks in that event. So without further ado, let me bring in the other half of tonight's duo, and that is Coach Eugene Benton. Coach, top of the evening to you here on a Monday evening, sir. Yeah, you know, it's kind of odd. Remember when we used to kick off this show, uh, oh, June, July-ish? Uh, mm. We would almost end the show at 9 p.m., and it would be uh, still daylight out. And here we are, and we're kicking off in the dark. It's kind of an unusual time of the year, and the days get shorter as we go. But, man, it was a, it was a good, interesting weekend for football. Uh, 
I know you wanted to talk about our 4A and 5A picks. I tell you, you know, 4A, we're not very good, especially when it comes to the upper state. We got one out of the four games right. We got all four <laughs> in the bottom part. In 5A, in we 5A, uh, <laughs> in 5A, I got one, two, three out of the four, and you got two out of the four in the upper state. And uh, we went three for four in the lower state. So not as not as bad, but, uh, you know, this time of year, man, everybody has these type of teams when even though technically this year was considered the first round, we know we're facing number ones and number twos all over the board. You know, these, right. th- these staffs, these staffs are great. They're well-paid coaches with, you know, a lot of these staffs have resources. And, again, we're just focusing on 4A and 5A right now. Um and almost all of them have high-caliber dudes. Quite a few of them have multiple, you know, D1 or at least college-bound players. That said, you know, it's just such a challenge to expect a, a, a one to win or a two to win or to say, well, we're going with the home team or, you know, because everybody's so talented. And what you right. find out was a few injury here or there or a turnover here or there or just something that happens during the course of a game – that can turn an outcome. And what we found out is, sure, sometimes you look at a bracket and you go with the, the big-name school. Um, but also when we looked at the bracket and we looked at records and who they played this year. And as it came to a game you and I were talking about earlier with Westside and Irmo, boy, yeah, I mean, you try to make a projection going with everything you know and you get it wrong. <laughs> you know? Right. That's why you play the game and there's no certain outcomes or else there wouldn't be a Vegas. Um, right. You know, but uh, what what an interesting day. I know it didn't turn out as well as you guys had hoped over at the fort Friday night. And, you know, I think Oceanside overachieved and found an extra gear and got a few bounces. And, again, they, they got turnovers and, and stopped on fourth down when they needed to, um, just like they did. And that helped them kind of hang in there with Gray and send it to overtime. So, you know, so sometimes it's just those, those special plays in a game that just kind of determine the outcome. You guys had a chance over at Fort to make a couple special plays. It just didn't go that way. But hats off, you know, River Bluff plays in, you know, they play every year uh, Dutch Fort, you know. So so they get their heads, uh, you know, they knock heads with a, with a championship team uh, pretty regularly, and they understand what it's like to compete at that level. So, you know, hats off to those guys. It wasn't an ugly loss, but a loss is a loss. And I know that doesn't make you guys feel better, but, um, you know, it, it's just, again, it, it's how it goes once you get uh, – not really the first round. We call it the second or third round of the playoffs where everybody's talented, everybody's ready to roll, everybody's played tough teams at some point in the right. season, and uh, some of these things just turn out that way. Yeah, I mean, you look at it the way it works out, and we'll look a little bit. Again, some of the winners, we'll start 5A. Dutch Fork took down Somerville. Carolina Force wins a good win against the Goose Creek Gators, and they won that one on the road. Sumter, of course, uh, wins at home against Berkeley. It's a, it's a little bit of a, a pretty decent game early, but ended up being a big win for the Gamecocks. And you mentioned River Bluff comes down to the fort. Probably the biggest upset of the weekend, for sure. One of the top two. That other one is, uh, I think you mentioned Westside and Irmo. But, yeah, River Bluff, they did what they needed to do. They got ahead early. And for some reason, it's like when you get your equilibrium off a little bit, that's kind of what it was like for Fort. I mean, you know, again – I think player to player, athlete to athlete, Fort was definitely loaded a lot heavier. But this is what it's all about in the playoffs. You got to bring it four quarters exact to the number of minutes they scored. Be it Duck, excuse me, River Bluff scored 14 points early in the first quarter, never scored again. 
So to give credit to Fort Dorchester's defense, they shut down number four, who, by the way, did an incredible job of keeping everybody, you know, wondering which way he was going to be going. And that quarterback, number seven, I thought looked pretty good as well. But you look on the other side, it was some missed opportunities. You say what you say about special teams, but that played a major role in that game. But there were some other plays that also just didn't go the way that I know the Patriots wanted it to go. It was a great season. You went undefeated. You won the regular season region undefeated, all of that. But then you lose in the first round. That's a hard pill for the seniors to swallow. It's a hard pill for the underclassmen and, of course, for the coaches. And I know those parents, you know, were all sitting still here on a Monday evening going, man, what happened? Shell shock. You know, this is why you play the game, and you have to give the credit to Riverbluff. They came, they showed up, and uh, they will advance to see Sumter. Carolina Forest will see Doug Sport. That's a rematch, by the way, of last year. 5A on the other side, it was T.O. Hanna. I went with my heart on this one. They beat Ridgeview. Again, I'm a big Perry Parks fan. I kind of uh, I wanted to go to O'Han. I just wanted to see Perry Parks and the boys at Ridgeview upset, but they didn't get it done. It's all right. Next year, another year. Gaffney knew they were going to win. They beat Burns handily. Dorman did what Dorman does. First time ever playing Boiling Springs. They win that matchup. Northwestern, Hillcrest, we both picked, I think, Northwestern, you know, out of that conversation as well. Nah, again, you went with Hillcrest. Did you I go Hillcrest? Hill that oh, that's what yes, beat me. Sir. Yeah, that's what beat me. <laughs> I went Hillcrest. Why did I go Hillcrest? I'm I'm not sure, but it was written down at the time. I got Northwestern oh. slash EB Hillcrest slash Rich. So yeah, you went mm. Hillcrest on that one, you know. And you know, I think what part of it was, and if I remember correctly, we had some of the conversation. You remember who the head coach was at Hillcrest and, and left them in pretty good shape with a pretty good. Um, Culture, uh, they had won a state title, and that was Great Porter. And, yeah. uh, you know, still some of his dudes were still on that team, man. And, you know, their only loss this year was to T.L. Hanna in the last game of the year that determined who got first place and who got second place. Right. Uh, so, so you know, they, they did fight. They did have a good team. Um, I went with Northwestern just being that they had been in a bracket with uh, with the Ridgeviews. They played those guys. You know, they had some other good teams in that bracket. Um, so, I just – I felt like Northwestern with being the home team and they were a little bit more battle tested um, against some pretty good athletes in a team like Ridgeview. That was a close game, but Northwestern had won. Um, that's why I went with uh, Northwestern in that game. Right. So we go down to the 4A bracket. This one's going to be an interesting one coming up uh, this weekend. Buford takes out West Florence. Uh, big win there. Congratulations. Uh, one of the three, one out of three only teams in the low country that advanced out of 13, by the way, 10 were knocked out on Friday night here in the low country, but Myrtle beach took out South Aiken. So Myrtle beach will come down South. They'll play Buford. That one will be a good one. We got some eyes and ears and boots on the ground reporting at that game. You want to follow us at SO sports central for all the updates down at that event. Now North Myrtle beach hosting North Augusta, who North Myrtle Beach took out James Island, another low country team that season ended. And North Augusta took down May River. Now, May River is a team uh, out of, of course, uh, the low country as well. And their season was ended thanks to the boys of North Augusta. Again, so my numbers actually are two teams advanced, not three. I actually thought May River might have found a way to uh, – no, I, knew, I think I knew they actually dropped one off. We'll talk about the third team in just a Whoop. minute. Yeah. So when you look at it, and on the other side, so Beaufort, Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach, North Augusta, that's the four on the lower state. On the upper state in 4A, west side, 
knocked out, drug out, and pads put up today because the boys from Irmo did what Irmo has done in many years and historically a sound program wins big. They advance. Who will they see? That will be, I think it is Catawba Ridge. Did Catawba Ridge upset Greer? Don't say that. Is correct. Uh, from the very first play of the game, uh, Mr. Robinson intercepted a ball for Catawba Ridge, and they never really looked back, man. They they, they won a pretty good game um, up there. Uh, I guess that would probably be also one of the big upsets of the week, but uh, Catawba Ridge uh, rolled those guys, and it happened from the very first play. So Catawba Ridge and Irmo, they will square off in the Elite Eight on the upper side, on the lower part of the upper state for a football South Point, how about it? And I got to give a lot of love, and I apologize for not picking you. You beat Greenwood. That's also another upset on the 4A upper state. And I tell you what, some gamers came out on Friday night in the upper state side of the region, or excuse me, of the contest. And then AC Flora, no doubt they are probably the team to beat. But I don't know when we do our picks if I'm going to go against South Point after watching what uh, Coach Holloman and the boys able to do, picking up a big win on the road, if I'm not mistaken. But nevertheless, uh, they'll see AC Floor. So here is the Elite Eight and 4A. Irmo, Catawba Ridge squared off. South Point, AC Flora will be the other two in the upstate. In the lower state, it's Buford and Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle Beach and North Augusta. Watch out, North Augusta. You got your hands full on Friday night. Now we look down at the 3A. 3A quickly here as we're trying to give you some of the winners. We will get a little deeper into some of this with our guests that are coming up here later on this evening. In the 3A lower state, it was Oceanside. You heard Eugene. We had him down on the ground and catching you up. And by the way, it is our game of the week. We'll all be there, myself included. We'll be there on Friday night down on the field and watching this event because it is Oceanside taking on the boys of Camden who did not win. It wasn't a huge spread there beating Brooklyn Casey, but they did find a way to win. That gives a little bit of hope to anybody that's got to play this powerhouse Camden team who, by the way, doesn't lose often, hadn't lost often in the last couple of years. But Coach Call, I talked to him today. He's excited about it. They will be playing in their own backyard over there at Johnson Higgins Stadium. Kickoff 730, possibly Southern Sports Central doing something special before the game. We will give – that information later on in the week. Then on the lower part of the upper state in 3A, it was Gilbert all day. Lake City, just not enough to handle the boys out of Gilbert. They advance, and Dylan on Saturday, the win, Eugene. You see it now as Oceanside versus Camden, Gilbert versus Hanahan in the lower state. Any surprise in 3A football there? You know, uh, not really. It went just as, as we predicted. Um, you know, we just thought that there were great teams, uh, you know, who also, I guess in the three with the teams that we picked, um, you know, is guys that teams that we knew played great defense and also could run the ball very, very well. Uh, right. These teams have had multiple years of success. I think the biggest shock actually was Coach Craig's team uh, jumping out on the 14-minute lead and just in like two minutes on top of Dylan. And was kind of, Whoa, what's going on here? Uh, obviously, right. you know, Dylan turned it around. They scored 28 points in like three minutes uh, and won that game. I think it was 52 or so to 14. But I think the you first checked out the score in the game, you know, to see if it had been kicked off and uh, Hanahan was going to be 14-0. Yeah, no doubt there. So that sets you up on the lower state, 3A action. Now to the upper state, Fairfield Central, not even 
able to carry out what needed to be done against a team out of Wren. Remember, last year, 4-H state champs. This year, on a march and a mission, as the boys will look to advance into the Elite Eight, Wren wins that battle. Then you look across the board on the other side, and it's Palmetto Woodruff. Battle let out. Woodruff with the win, so it will be Wren taking on Woodruff in the upper state. That is the Elite Eight. Chapman and Powdersville. Well, we knew Chapman was going to be big because they won it last year. They will advance as well. Then it is Daniel and Chester. Daniel gets the nod there. So here it is, the final on the upstate. Wren versus Woodruff. Chapman versus Daniel. That, again, is your 3A action on that event. Going to the 2A, we'll kind of go quickly through this one because we don't want to miss out Kevin Billadu, who's going to be joining us live right here at 30. Sharon and Andrews, how about the coaching staff at Andrews and the Yellow Jackets stinging the boys of Sharon to advance to the next round? They will be playing Pillion, who knocked out Philip Simmons with some questions on some of the plays, but at the end of the day, Pillion will see the next round. On the lower part of the upstate, how about Barnwell? I think that was a little bit of an upset because Woodland had a lot of momentum after the only loss they had throughout the year. And winning that region, by the way, they lost to the Big A. Yep, that's Abbeville. But they thought they had enough to handle the boys of Barnwell. Not even an opportunity, as it is Barnwell doing what Barnwell does to advance. Marion and Andrew Jackson. It was all Marion all day long. And so here's the setup in the two-way upper, excuse me, the lower state. It's Andrews versus Peelan. Barnwell taking on Marion. Moving down to the upstate, if you will. And you look at it like this in two-way. Abbeville, the big A, is showing up, taking out Leesburg. And they will move on to the Elite Eight in the upstate. Chesney knocks down Newberry. They will be facing Abbeville. Gray Collegiate takes out St. Joseph as they will now be playing against a team, Christ. Church. They knocked out North Central. A lot of guys, Eugene, are saying keep your eyes on a team like Christ Church. I've had to do some research. Going to be doing a little bit more before I do my pick on that game. Yeah, we did. We actually both, uh, all three of us actually went North Central on that one. Um, you know, <laughs> you're right. Sometimes it's really hard to get in and get a lot of research, uh, especially on small town schools. Um, a lot of them, you know, just they don't have a huge media presence. They have like a small town paper. You know, you got to get in and, and get some details on these guys. You know, a lot of these schools, not every school uses like a max preps and updates the information. So it's kind of hard to dig this stuff. Once they start to get a little further in the playoffs, they start getting picked up kind of like the bigger markets. So if a team is like an hour or so outside of Columbia, you might start to see, you know, things about them in, in the Columbia papers and things like that just because, you know, we're starting to whittle down to get to those um, the state title games. But, uh, yeah, we definitely need to do some research on them. I went back to the social media board, you know, the the infamous Facebook group, and um, there are a lot of uh, uh, talkers and squawkers that certainly are boasting about Christ Church's offense. So uh, we'll have to do some research there. Yeah, we'll have a look at it. Good. That is your 2A bracket. Now let's look at the final bracket before we head to a break. And, of course, Kevin Billadu set to join us at 630 in about 11 minutes with one other topic that will kind of scratch the surface, but won't get all the way into it until we get Kevin in here. But that, of course, back to the brackets and the winners from Friday night. Carver's Bay 
we kind of saw it. I was kind of going with my heart, hoping that Baptist Hill would be a team out of the low country that would keep on keeping on. But the history and the roots of Carver's Bay showed up in big-time fashion. They will advance to see the likes of Lakeview, who knocked out Allendale Fairfax. So there you go in the lower state. First two, punching tickets, Carver's Bay, Lakeview. In the bottom half of that bracket, it is Bamberg. The boys knocked out C.E. Murray, Coach Smitty, and seen his season come to an end. We may be bringing him in to do some of that 1A conversation on these brackets as well as Bamberg. We'll see round two, and that is against that other team, well, Branch, knocking out Johnsonville, and that, by the way, is that third team out of the low country. Good job. So we've got 3A, no, 4A, 3A, and 1A in the low country represented in the eight or Elite Eight, if you will, of the second round of the playoffs. Quickly here, South Christian wins over C.A. Johnson. It is Bill Hilda wins over Whitmire. So you'll see South Christian taking on Hilda there. And then you start to see Lamar knocked out Wilson Elko. Lamar advances. Wagner Sally taking down McCormick. I think I was wrong there, too. So Lamar and Wagner Sally, and that rounds up our one through five, one through five, on the brackets and the classification as we are now down to the Elite Eight. And, Eugene, I believe the lucky number, or let's say the unlucky number today, was 40 teams. 40 teams turned in their pads for the final time as they will see their season come to an end. Yeah, that, that's very, very true. And then we'll have 20 more next week. And uh, I want to go back to the Bamberg-CE Murray game and just uh, give a huge shout-out to uh, Coach Schmitty and his team uh, for those that don't know, uh, Bamberg has played uh, seven games this year. In the very first game, in the very first quarter, uh, I believe it was on the very first drive, they gave up a touchdown. The team went for two and scored uh, eight points. They have not allowed another point in a single game since the first quarter of the first game. C.E. Murray scores, I believe it was 20. I think they lost the game 32-20 to 20 or something like that. So, uh, for them to go in and, and make that kind of showing on a team that, you know, they just haven't given up uh, any points whatsoever. It's not like, you know, well, they haven't scored much against. They haven't given up anything since the first quarter, first drive of the first game all year. I mean, if you look, nothing but zeros. And, and I know that's not something, you know, that, that coach wants to pat his back on because in, at the end of the day, you know, they were one of the 40 that had to turn in their stuff. However, that being said, you know, that's a heck of a coaching job to go on the road uh, to face that type of a team and uh, do something that seven teams combined haven't put 20 points on the on, on uh, Coach Crosby's defense. So, heck of a job for those guys going on the road and taking on that battle and, and doing a great job. But, um, you know, we did really well in this bracket. Of course, you know, you went with Baptist Hill in the low country and, uh, and, and the um, the McCormick game as well. But, you know, in a situation, again, it's so hard to pick some of these 1A schools, man. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm still thinking that I think uh, what I'm looking forward to um, is the next round, not this round, but the next round, that Elite Four, because in 1A should be some pretty fun ball. Looks like we got all four corners of the state covered. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, talking about having the state covered quickly, news out of Columbia was, uh, well, pretty big. What As uh, we kind of saw this, we actually tweeted this, 
And I'm not a breaking news guy. I round in the troops pretty quickly last week, and maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have said, wait a minute, leave it, let it sit there. But what happens when it ain't true? But it was true, unfortunately, for, uh, of course, uh, Will Muschamp. His time in Columbia has come to an end, a very tough decision for the athletic director, that is Ray Tanner, who uh, was uh, visually upset today when uh, talking about dismissing the head coach from the University of South Carolina after an awful performance on the road against Ole Miss. And again, when you are the defensive mindset of a football program and your defense seems to be taking it the hardest, it holds very, very heavy conversation around not only those on the campus, but those off the campus. And who are those off the campus? Well, those are the young men and women that I'd say donate a lot of money to your paycheck. And that being said, I think there's just a time and a place, and they found both of those sometime yesterday when the conversation came out and the words and the conversation was, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That being said, now is the other conversation, and we've got it up over there on our Twitter page, at SO Sports Central, on who is the next coach, who is going to be the next head ball coach or the next football coach or however you want to label running the Gamecocks in 2021. And Eugene, I start to kind of think about it and you and I have talked about it and, you know, I've got kind of a mixed feelings. I, I do like, you know, that the, what Shane Beamer can bring to the board, a former coach on the staff at the University of South Carolina. He's a South Carolina native born in Charleston, if I'm not mistaken, the son of a father who, is an amazing coach, so it's in his blood as he did big things and put Virginia Tech on the map. Everybody knows what Coach Beamer did up there. But on the other side, it's hard for me not to love on Coach Elliott at Clemson. To me, that's your one-two punch. You go after who you want to, but wait a minute, just a minute, because I got an extra one. Then there's Hugh Freeze. I understand he made mistakes. I understand that he's not perfect. But look in the mirror if you're listening to my voice. You ain't either. And somebody gave you a second chance, a third chance, or four or five other chances. Hugh Freeze is no different than you. If a college that is known as a biblical college can take a chance on a man like Hugh Freeze, and by the way, ain't no top 25 team in the country that he's running, and he's running it pretty good. And we forget last year when he came on Southern Sports Central, he was just now getting out of his bed where he was calling plays from the press box. Now that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is dedication. And that's what we need. Now here's another thing, and I'll say this. I've had multiple opportunities to have multiple conversations with Will Muschamp. He's always welcomed Southern Sports Central. He's always welcomed in my family when we were around the locker room. He had a great conversation with Jacob about three years ago in that locker room after a big win that they had had. And it was an amazing, just watching Will dive into the conversation with Jacob, and I will always be grateful for that. I'll be grateful for him and all the time and sacrifices that he made for the Gamecocks, my alumni, my place that I call home. And I can say this, is that it's not an easy job to be the head coach. And unfortunately, you know, you're usually one of the first to go. If not the first, you're, you're not far to follow if things aren't going right. But on behalf of all of us at Southern Sports Central, and Eugene can speak this as well as we're going to head to a break and hopefully come back with Kevin Billadu at 630. Coach Muschamp, we appreciate the effort. We appreciate all the energy. I know there's a lot of players who have uh, voiced their opinion, and we may get into some of that conversation here tonight. 
But as a fan, as an alumni, as an athlete that was on that campus, has done some things in my time, I appreciate what you gave us. You gave it a shot. It's not an easy place to win. We get that. A lot of coaches have tried, and unfortunately, you know, not a lot of them have made it. You know, I can count on a hand, I believe, how many have been really honestly, truly, overall, acceptably, you know, successful. We'll find out who the next young man's going to be and who's going to get that shot coming up soon. But we'll send you guys out. We'll be right back with a short break. We'll come back. We will have Kevin Belladue right over there from the West Ashley Studios at Live 5, and that is Channel 5, right here next, coming out of Southern Sports Central. Wait and see. Well, Kev's got to say, and not only about Will Muschamp, who's the next head coach, and we'll talk some low country football from this past Friday night, guys. Don't go anywhere. This song is to encourage my brothers and my sisters that might be going through some things in your life. I want to let you know that Jesus said he would never leave you nor forsake you. You're not in this thing by yourself. Just keep holding on and don't give up. He'll be there for you. We've been might endure for a night, but here comes the joy. Let's go. Come on. for us to drop by and say hello to our good friend over there at Live 5 News. That is the man with the plan, the sports director, Kevin Billadu. Big Kev. Well, we might have just lost Big Kev. I got excited. I gave him a great intro, Eugene, but man, I might have scared him. <laughs> we got it back. <laughs> I see him. Kev, I got you, man. I gave you the intro. I gave you the introduction, man. What's going on, Big Kev? How's life uh, over there at Live 5? 
Uh, it's been a busy couple of days, as I'm sure you can expect, but <laughs> things are going well right now. How you guys been? God is blessing us, man. It looks like we're up for a good uh, party on Friday night before uh, we talk about some of the other stuff, but uh, I'm going to be there. You'll be there, and some of our closest friends, I would imagine, over at Johnson Haygood Stadium is Joe Call is uh, all eyes on him in the lower part of the, or the low country here in uh, downtown Charleston, huh? I think uh, last Friday might have been unprecedented in the amount of teams we had knocked out of the playoffs in one in one stretch because I, I don't think I've ever seen that in my I guess 17 years now covering high school football here. We had 10 teams knocked out on on Friday and you know including one on Saturday. So Oceanside, the the last team left standing in the Low Country. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, Oceanside, we'll see a very good Camden team. will be there, Southern Sports Central style. I'll be there, actually, as well, Kev. I'm sure you'll be there. It's going to be quite the party. I've even got the principal from Berkeley. Coach Steele is going to be there with us. So, you know, who knows uh, who all is going to show up, man. We might have to do something special and live for a few minutes and get that voice of yours over here with us for a minute. But uh, that being said, you, you mentioned it. 13 teams came in Friday night, low country style, ready to ball out, ready to show out. But they didn't show out. They actually got shut out of the second round. 13 teams in, 10 out, three that remained. And we are represented in the 4A, the 2, no, the, the 4A, the 3A, and the 1A when it comes down to the only teams remaining on Friday night in the Elite Eight coming up this weekend, bud. Yeah, and, you know, the a lot of surprises. You know, uh, we didn't really expect Fort Dorchester to fall on Friday night. Uh, I knew Goose Creek was going to be in it for a tough road with Carolina Forest, but, uh, you know, they had a home game. I, I fully expected them to take care of business. That didn't happen. Uh, and, you know, other than that, it was just a, a lot of teams just falling all over the place. Like I said, it's, it's something I've, I've never seen since I've been here, only having, you know, this few teams this early on in the playoffs. Yeah, you mentioned Fort Dorchester. I was at that game. I called it over there on FT Sports TV. And, and, you know, it was a very weird game, Kev, because they had a couple of running backs. We knew that. We knew that they weren't very much going to throw the ball around. And they only got 14 in the first quarter. But it was the team that has led the state all year long in points that weren't able to put enough points on the board. And they lost by two. To me, that's probably the biggest upset in the state, even though there were some other ones in the upstate. But that one – you know, you're in the top three all year long. Very good team, by the way. Athlete by athlete, I think Ford definitely has it. But that's what we love. If you're anybody but a Fort Dorchester Patriot, that's what you love about this time of year. Yeah, you know, we had talked to Steve LaPrade, and I know you did as well. Uh, we talked to him Wednesday on signing day uh, when we were over there for the young man signing to play at Duke, Tyler Christmas. Uh, but we got a chance to talk to LaPrade about the game. And, and, you know, he was talking about how this first round this year was different than any other year because – we have uh, a smaller bracket this year. One round was chopped off because of the of the pandemic, and so really the the first round this year was like the second round we we normally see, where the games were a lot more competitive. Didn't really see any any big time blowouts, at least among the bigger schools. You know, uh, with the exception of Dutch Fork, and even Somerville kept that one pretty close for a while. So, uh, other than that, you know, uh, like I said, Coach LaPrade said it was going to be different this year, and it definitely worked out that way. Yeah, it definitely did. Unfortunately, not the difference that you'd want if you're a Patriot. Again, we mentioned 40 teams, by the way, turned in pads today for the final time, and uh, some seen their season to an end. 
And, you know, Kev, you, you got to stop and think. There was a time in, in, in June and July, we didn't even know we were going to have this. So while we're upset, at least these young men had an opportunity to chase something, to play something, and to be a part of something. And not only did you see some big wins out of uh, Coach Denny over there, at, uh, of course, Stratford this year did some things. Goose Creek wins the region. Somerville started to show that, hey, they got some things going on. So there's, of course, some things going on in that side for them. But you talk about Fort, nothing to hang their head down. Even though they fell short, they went undefeated, won their region. And, again, those are those type of headlines. Had we not played the game, had not had the season that we didn't think we would, Kev, we wouldn't be having these type of conversations. Yeah, and, and you know, that was another thing Coach LaFrad talked about when, when, we, when we sat down with him. You know, he said even he didn't think we were going to get through a whole season. So, you know, the, the fact that we've gotten to this point so far – is, is, you know, really a testament to all the schools and the high school league and, you know, all the kids and all the parents who've been doing their part to make sure this thing doesn't spread, especially over the last couple of weeks where it's really started to pick up in our state again. And, you know, we really haven't seen too many issues. You know, obviously we had First Baptist here in the Low Country having to forfeit their season a couple of weeks ago. But other than that, that's really the, the biggest issue we've had uh, pandemic-related-wise since the season started. Yeah, no doubt. As now we look at the pandemic with having a record number of teams bounced out of the low country, that is 10 out of 13. We also did see a 3 nothing football game this year, so 2020 living up to the hype there, Kev. Let's talk about Well Branch out of 1A. They advanced. They're one of the three teams that advanced out of 1A and 3A Oceanside. We talked a little bit about them. And then how about the boys of Buford, man? They're rolling in. Got a tough one against Myrtle Beach, but talk a little bit about the only three teams standing heading into the Elite Eight weekend. Yeah, you know, uh, Whale Branch, they, they've had an impressive season so far. And, and you know, really the, the big difference in, in that 1A in that region was Whale Branch going into Baptist Hill uh, early on in the season and coming away with a victory over the Bobcats by one point. I think it was 21-20. And that was the difference in, in winning that region championship and getting second place. And while it doesn't seem like a lot, you know, second place Baptist Hill had to go on the road last week and they suffer a lot and their season's over. Whale Branch gets a win in their first round, and they're moving on. So that that one game early on in the season really had a big, uh, you know, set of ramifications for the entire year for both those teams. Uh, Oceanside, you know, they were in a dogfight Friday night. I know uh, you guys were, were there for part of that at least. And, you know, that one came down to the last possession. And, and uh, you know, Aner did a really nice job of, of hanging on to that ball and just running and taking clock off as much as they could. And it, it looked for a while like they were going to be able to hang on but, you know, they had one too many turnovers and just, you know, Oceanside's defense stepped up when they had to. So, good to see Joe Call moving on in his first year with the Land Sharks. And then Buford, you know, they've had an impressive season too. And so, you know, they pick up a win in round one and, and they're ready to, to do it again in round two. Now, here we are now looking here with Kevin Billadu, Live 5 Sports, Live 5 News, the man with the plan on our Monday night shows at 630. Before we get you out of here, a little birdie told me that you're kind of a fan of a certain guy that may be at least entertained with the opportunity to be the new head coach over at the University of South Carolina. Now being said, yesterday, Will Muschamp, you know, is given the walking papers again, told he doesn't have to go home, but he can't come back here. Your thoughts on the way it was handled, your thoughts on the coaching getting let go during the season, just overall, Kev, your thoughts of how the University of South Carolina goes from here. Yeah, you know, Letting a coach go during the season, I've never been a fan of it. But uh, Ray Tanner talked this morning, and, you know, he made a good point that, 
things are so much different now, and, and the reason of, because of it is that early signing day period and that December 15th signing day. And, you know, especially this year, the season's still going to be going on for most teams uh, because of the way things are being pushed back. But now you've got to have your recruiting ready to go, not before February, as most teams usually do. You know, it used to be, you know, that season was over in early December. You could fire your coach then. You had a couple of weeks to, to do your search and hire a guy. And then you get him in by the middle of the end of December, and he had a month to get ready for to put a class together for signing day. Now, you know, really now is the time to make a move if you're going to make a move. So at this point, he can get that month of, of getting getting a staff together and and trying to get a recruiting class together for that early December 15th period. So, you know, I, I don't think it does much to help this year's team, and it might not help the program in the immediate future, but – you know, if, if they're going to make a move, this is the time to do it, I guess. So uh, now the question is, can they get a coach in before that signing period and get someone to leave their program if he might already be a head coach or get someone, you know, who's on the sidelines right now and, and get them back into the groove and, and get ready to put a staff together and, and start to put that recruiting class together. So I ask you the question, and I know you, you kind of have a little soft spot for Jamie Chad. Well, we all do, right? I mean, he was a Charleston Southern guy, did yeah. great things. He's a great man. He's a great family man, and I think that he could be a solid pick. But there's another guy close to the connections to the low country on the other side of that studio that you're at, and that is uh, Coach Elliott. He's a former James Allen guy. He's a kid who has proven that he is the real deal at play calling over there at Clemson. Any chance you think it's Coach Elliott, Coach Hugh Freeze, or how about a name like Shane Beamer? who has been here before, born in Charleston, by the way, and has proven himself about recruiting as good as anybody when it comes to the Gamecocks. Yeah, and, you know, those are all good names. You know, you mentioned Chadwell. Uh, you know, I've been a big fan of his since he came to Charleston Southern. I actually texted him last night. It was about 8 o'clock, and I, I said, you know, joking around, if you're going to take this job, could you wait till after the Patriots game tonight so I can, you know, at least sit and watch the Patriots win? And, and he wrote back, he's like, well, he's like, you need any kind of pickup you can get with the season they're having. And I was like, no, they're going to turn it around tonight. And so, obviously, I was right on that one. Uh, you know, I think he would be great at that job. The, the question is, you know, is that a job worth taking for him? You know, the, right. the way he's setting up that Coastal Carolina program, they're a top 15 team in the country right now. You know, and that's just early on in his tenure. You know, he could do more with that program. And – you know, honestly, I think it might be easier down the road to recruit to Coastal than it might be to South Carolina. You know, if you can show a show a kid, you know, hey, you can live on the beach for four years, or you can go to Columbia and go to Five Points every weekend. You know, <laughs> I, I think one of them would be much more attractive than the other. So, you know, that's a question that James is going to have to ask. Obviously, the money would be a big difference in Columbia, but, you know, you never know. Coastal Carolina might be able to put something together that would intrigue him. Uh, some of the other names you mentioned, Tony Elliott. The, the thing that's going to be the problem with Elliott, and, you know, he kind of touched on this earlier today in his press conference, is that, you know, as long as we have that early signing day and Clemson keeps being this juggernaut program, you know, they're going to be getting ready for ACC championship games and, and you know, college football playoffs all this time of year. So it's going to be hard for him to step away in the middle of a season and leave these kids kind of hanging high and dry on this Clemson team to go and get ready to take another uh, job at another program. So, that's going to be interesting to see how he works that around. And, and you mentioned Beamer as well. He was a guy who was always highly talked about when he was on that Gamecock staff. So I think he would be a great hire as well if, if they could get him to come back to South Carolina. 
Yeah, just a couple of points before we get you out of here in about two minutes here. You know, you mentioned Tony Elliott leaving during the season. Who comes to mind? Lane Kiffin comes to mind and how that did not work so well for him, right? I mean, so there is that conversation. You also mentioned an Elliott, but how about Sean Elliott? You think he would leave? He would never leave. Why would you leave and go back to South Carolina? Who didn't hire you the first row round? And you've got it going on, even though this year has not been the year they wanted, I think they've been affected a lot more than others by the COVID and the situation there, but he wouldn't leave. That team over there, it looks like Georgia State doing big things, and they're in a bowl conference that they can do things if they win the way they need to. But, again, as always, love having you on. Give us a breakdown of what's coming up this week on the world of football and Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I got nothing. We're, we're done. <laughs> you know, we, we had everything on the schedule for this week. I thought we'd have at least five or six games, and, you know, really Oceanside's the only team in, in our demo that's still playing. So, yeah, uh, the we had our last Friday Night Lights last week. We'll, we'll definitely have full coverage of Oceanside coming up on Friday. Justin Beagle's going to sit down uh, with Coach Call and some of the players over there on Wednesday, and, and he'll be at the game on Friday as well. So, you know, that's that's what we're doing, and, and now we're on we're on coaching watch. I didn't think we'd be there this early in the, you know, in the season, but now it's going to be lots of rumors flying everywhere and, and all kinds of fun going forward the rest of the season. Well, last year we got to do this with 19 or maybe it was 21 head coaches in high school football. This season we're giving it to the college, at least over at the University of South Carolina, because I don't think Dabo, I don't think he's going anywhere. I heard somebody say something today, but we'll save that for another segment, brother. How do they find you and keep up with you guys over there at Channel 5, bud? Yeah, man, you can find me find me on Twitter, Kevin Live 5 and on Facebook, Kevin Billadu, Live 5 News, and, you know, go to our website, live5news.com. That's where – we're going to have everything up throughout this week. We'll have previews for the for the football games and everything else. And that's, that's right there on live5news.com. Oh, yeah. By the way, the final parting note for you, my friend. You know, there's that team called Dutch Fork where they're also evidently pretty good at golf. I heard the guy that won the Masters graduated from Dutch Fork. Yeah, he had a pretty good weekend too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. You think? I think they can beat everybody in anything, dude. Underwater basket weaving, water polo, or marble racing. It's just Dutch Fork, man. They just do it different. They know what they're doing up there, man. Hey, brother, good luck. God bless. We'll see you soon. And, uh, of course, I'll get to catch up with your buddy Justin on Friday nights over there at Johnson. Hey, good, man. Thanks again, Kev. Sounds good, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, look at there. Kevin Billadou. He is the best in the biz, and he is part of our Southern Sports Central family, him and Justin Beagle. we got to get Big Justin in here, by the way, at some point. Eugene, I know you get a chance to talk to him on the sideline. You and him have uh, worked side-by-side through a few games. But, of course, Kevin is his boss. He is the sports director over there at Live 5 News, part of that CBS connection here on Southern Sports Central. A couple of conversations, departing notes that I took during that conversation there. Eugene, I think that there is some – some strong urgency. I like Shane Beamer. He is, by the way, he's got a title over there at Oklahoma. They know a little bit about football, where he is labeled in the right position to come back to the University of South Carolina and do something. Because earlier you and I were talking, and, and, and of course, you know, when I was highlighting some things and you were highlighting some things, it was like, okay, we like that pick. But that doesn't mean I don't like Tony Elliott either. I think Coach Elliott would be a great pick. I just don't know if Tony Elliott would leave the Clemson Tigers to come coach the Gamecocks of the University of South Carolina during the middle of what they could be running for another national championship. So the question goes, are you going to start to look at your resume or are you going to maintain the team resume? And I don't blame a coach if he leaves 
like we talked about Lane Kiffin did it when he was at Alabama to get another chance to be a head coach. Because at the end of the day, you and I talked about another name that may or may not hit the conversations and Clemson fans are going to sigh when we say this, but a guy like even Brent Venables who mentions he understands that he either needs to understand the fact that he could be a head coach or he could just be a lifelong defensive coordinator like a guy did at Virginia Tech that had a few chances to take but never leaked into that league and stayed where he was at and just grew from that position. Eugene. Yeah, I agree. And and there's a different factor. You know, how much does money play in this? You know, Shane Beamer is the assistant head coach uh, for offense at at Oklahoma. He's been recruiting coordinator. You know, he's been tied to Georgia, South Carolina, obviously Virginia Tech. Um, And then, you know, out there at Oklahoma where they've had, you know, a couple Heisman quarterbacks and big-time offenses and things like that. But, you know, one of the things is uh, when I looked it up is, uh, you know, he is a very good paid, a very well-paid assistant at 435000 a year. Uh, you know, I believe uh, the South Carolina job probably plays, and I don't know if they would pay a first-time head coach this much, but, you know, you're looking at going to three and a half to $4 million a year uh, or maybe even more. Who knows? But um, so that's certainly a big jump for a guy like that, um, you know, and, and I think if the opportunity presents itself for a head coaching job, why, you know, I can't see him not wanting to take it. Uh, I kind of started to agree with Kevin there a little bit about the Jamie Chadwell thing. I think he would – I don't see him leaving yet. He still wants to do too many firsts, like win a bowl game. Uh, I'm sure after the season's over, we know uh, there's some very big uh, boosters tied to that program there at uh, Coastal Carolina, including a, a billionaire who's still tied to that program. I think there's a way if they wanted to uh, compensate Jamie uh, in the sense of – you know, to kind of lock him down for a little bit. I'm sure they can come up with the funding for that. Um, you know, when we look at Hugh Freeze, he's a guy, like you said, you know, everybody makes mistakes. He's certainly done really well at a Christian university. I will say that they just uh, redid his deal, and he's making $3.2 million a year right now coaching at Liberty. That's not in a conference. It is an independent school. Um, so he gets to schedule, in a sense, some of the teams he wants to schedule. And like he said, you know, he doesn't have – uh, a lot of the um, issues of the past, and he just enjoys his wife, his three girls, and he said he has a house up on the mountain two minutes from the stadium. So he's really loving it there. Uh, there's no certainly no push or no urge to leave is uh, exactly what he said. So that was an interesting one as well. We hear a lot of talk about Billy Napier, another Clemson guy. I unfortunately think South Carolina fans a lot seem to be wanting to go the, um, the, the follow the Clemson route. And I really think they should be, uh, let's set our own path. You know, Clemson, for a while, they were going with the coaches. You know, they had, um, I can't remember, was it Pell or somebody. Then they had Danny Ford, you know, for so long. And they just tried to find that Danny Ford um, clone, and they couldn't find him. So what they do, they kind of just took a chance and went out and hired the wide receiver coach. Now they were patient, too. Remember the first four or five years where they lose to South Carolina five in a row? There was press conferences where Dabo had the quivering bottom lip and things like that, but they stayed with the guy. And, uh, you know, for a lot of athletic departments, a lot of fans, they don't want to do that. Clemson did, and, you know, it's worked wonderfully for them. Uh, The proof is in the uh, record and in the uh, trophy case, so to speak. But um, So, you know, I wish South Carolina would go that different route. Um, I'm a huge Shane Beamer fan. Uh, he he does have a lot of great relationships. He's been here before. He's coached in the Southeast. 
Uh, and I would have no problem um, handing him the reins. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Dabo Swinney, but you know what? You've you got, you got to give somebody a try. At this juncture, I'm not a fan of going out and hiring a Coach Stoops who has said he's not interested in coming back coaching yet. Uh, I'm just not interested in that. I think the Lou Holtz to Steve Spurrier had a very, very good uh, turn for the program and showed people right. that the program can win. And so I'm looking for someone maybe a little bit younger, a little more energetic, uh, a little more in tune with the youth to uh, revitalize the program and maybe insert some juice into it and hopefully be around for the long haul. Yeah, no doubt. We're talking about the departure of, of course, uh, Coach Will Muschamp. He is uh, no longer the head football coach in Columbia, as he uh, was given that paperwork yesterday. Uh, Mike Bobo will be the interim coach, which we actually announced this last week, a week ahead of time. So that crystal ball actually worked for Southern Sports Central. And uh, when you look at it, you know, we'll see how this works out. Now, somebody today told me that they thought maybe he would be the new head coach. Don't see that happening. Not that I don't like Mike Bobo. I think he's a great guy. He came on this show when he was over there at his previous college head coaching job. And uh, always, always a first-class guy. I just don't think that's going to be the way we go. Now, I could be wrong. I don't have a say-so in the vote, and and I'm kind of glad at this point I don't because that's a tough list to follow. I do not want, and Eugene and I separate a little bit, maybe not as much as we did at the beginning of the morning because we did have our – we did have our pre-meeting this morning and our meal, and we were talking about the show tonight as we got ready for all the topics and guests that were joining us. I do not want an upcoming coach who has yet to prove himself. Okay, I do. The chances of, uh, you know, people say, well, we want a, a, we, we a Dabo Sweeney-style coach. Well, for every Dabo that works, there's a dozen that don't work. All right? You remember the guy, if you're a Gamecock fan, his last name was Horn. Well, he came out of a place called Kentucky, and it wasn't the University of Kentucky either. Everybody thought he was going to be the greatest thing. Didn't work out. There's a coach right now down there in baseball land, and he may or may not work out, but I'm not seeing it. I don't like it. What's happening there is going in the wrong direction. Yes, I understand that we don't want a guy that's going to be here for four or five or six years, but let's be honest. In the coaching realm we're in today, seven, eight years is a long time in coaching. Coaches don't stay around the way they used to. Players don't stay around. It's not the same game as it was back in the day. Do I think Jamie Chadwell would be a good coach for the University of South Carolina? At some point, I do. But I think he's got something pretty big where he's at right now, just like Sean Elliott. And I think that's where they can go, where they can grow, and they can continue to do big things. You heard Kevin Biller, do we talked about the likes of five points. I call Columbia the cement city. I spent four years there. It's hot as hell. All right? may not be as hot as that spot, but it's pretty hot. It's close. There is no wind blowing off the beach. I can promise you that. There's not that ocean on the other side that you get frustrated and go sit by. Lake Murray's cool, but it ain't, <laughs> it ain't the Atlantic Ocean. And there's a lot of that that we talked about, Jamie, with Coach Chadwell last week, that we talked about the whole things that he's got up with him and against him over there in Coastal Carolina, being a kid that grew up in Myrtle Beach, went to a high school in that area, and knows the difference, ups and downs of what it's like in the spring, comparatively different than what it is in the fall. You know, the beaches are closed to some degree in November, but it opens up jam-packed, loaded to the gills starting in March, and doesn't stop until about October. And your job as a coach is to keep your players focused and all on the, the, the magnet of what has to happen. And spring sports take a toll on it on the Grand Strand. You see all the stuff there with the Myrtle Beach football team, but you don't see that same success in the baseball team over there with the Seahawks. 
You know why? Because it's hard to keep them boys focused. They're not just chasing ground balls. They're not chasing pop-ups. Trust and believe me, Eugene. It's a lot bigger deal to do that in a place like the Grand Strand. And you got to give Jamie, Coach Jamie Chadwell a game ball for that, for keeping his boys off the beach and on the field, because their whole hashtag at some degree is what, balling at the beach? That's true. As, as, but as he told us on his show last week, he said, you know, I tell recruits, you know, it is a great place to be. And, you know, there is some downtime to enjoy the beach. But if your idea is to come here to go to the beach, you're not going to last here. <laughs> so, you know, he said, but it is a great thing to have here. Uh, he personally doesn't try to use that in his when he talks to recruits, he said, because he let them know that, you know, it is a great location. There are time. There is a time for that. But, however, you know, your your commitment is to this team uh, and to making yourself, like you said, to making yourself be a better man. Uh, and that isn't necessarily spending all your free time on the beach. That is true, guys. We're going to take a break here in just a little bit, but we want to invite you to Southern Sports Central Multimedia. That, of course, is over on Facebook at Southern Sports Central and on Twitter at SO Sports Central. Throughout our broadcast, there in Southern Sports Central, all of the interviews, the quotes from our Young men and women that join us are found right there on that, of course, uh, piece of, uh, I'd say, opportunity to educate and entertain you. We also, of course, also hanging out on the world of Instagram. You may find some film or some pictures this weekend as I'll be down on the ground and around with Eugene and a few other guys from Southern Sports Central over there. Johnson Hagen Stadium, our game of the week, pretty much everybody's game of the week, if you're locally in the heart of the low country, is going to be Camden coming into the low country to Johnson Hagen Stadium and into the, ta- the tank with the Bull Shark head coach, Joe Call, will be taking on the big Bulldogs out of Camden. Should be a good one. We'll take a break. When we come back, the bus is pulling up slowly and getting ready to bring on the big man himself. And that, of course, uh, a guy that always joins us at 7 o'clock on Monday nights, Reginald Walker, Jr. All that and much more coming up top of the hour right out of this. Guys, don't go anywhere more of your Southern Sports Central right after this, guys.
say good afternoon or should we say good evening on this uh, little ways past the middle of the month of November, just a little bit over a week away from Thanksgiving Day. Lots to be thankful for right here on Southern Sports Central. As I'm Rich Yellman alongside Eugene Benton coming to you live for two more solid hours. Coming up in just a few, we'll uh, get the guy mic'd up, get them all dressed for success on the bus of Southern Sports Central. And that, of course, will be the big man Reginald Walker Jr. joins us here in just a few, talking college football, may even talk a little NFL with him. We've got him for 30 solid minutes, and we can't wait to catch up with him. But I do want to thank Kevin Bibbledew. He's been a great guy all summer, season long, if you will, as he always joins us here on Monday nights. We'll be using Justin Beagle a little bit during the season, coming up in basketball, I'm pretty sure, as uh, he, me, and a few of our closest friends, along with Eugene, will be hanging out Friday night. You can catch Southern Sports Central on the ground over at Johnson Haygood Stadium. The invitation has been accepted by us from the head football coach, Joe Call, as he will take his Land Sharks at the battleground one more week for sure, and they win. They see week number three in the final four is on that docket as well, Eugene. But, you know, again, as we wait for uh, our big man, Reginald Walker Jr., who is getting ready. Matter of fact, he's getting ready to catch in here in just a minute. But, um, when he does, I'm kind of curious on some of his thoughts and his opinions here throughout this entire, I would say, weekend of, uh, of sports and just everything across the board. Eugene? Yeah, I'm kind of interested. I know he's uh, probably a little down on on his alma mater there at Penn State. You know, we actually thought maybe they could give uh, Ohio State a little bit of run and at least push for the second spot. And, you know, who would have thought it would be Indiana? So I'm sure he has some uh, – insight on that one um also want to talk to him about that 2021 player transfer portal uh decision that came out by the ncaa today um and uh you know as well as uh of course again you know um a big matchup this weekend uh this week actually going back to hugh freeze and liberty they're uh playing at um north carolina state so that'll be a good one there um as well so there are quite a few topics we want to catch up on, of course, in the NFL. There's some key injuries that uh, happened this weekend. The Saints and Drew Brees, he's got fractured ribs on both sides, multiple fractured ribs, a collapsed, excuse me, a lung. Um, he's got some other uh, – there have been some other issues that happened in the NFL. Teddy Bridgewater there in Charlotte uh, may be down for a while. So, who do they – do they go with Will Greer? Do they go with someone else? So, a lot of, a lot of uh, interesting topics to cover when a main man joins us here. Yeah, should be joining us here any minute here. I thought he actually had jumped on, but he uh, if he did, he fell off here. So, hopefully he's going to be able to join us here in just a few. But like you mentioned, there were so many great games. And I, I get that everybody's eyes are on the Gamecocks and not for the right reasons. Uh, if you're, of course, uh, hoping to hear some good news about what's going on in Columbia. And, again, you know, there were some positive points on Saturday night's game. Unfortunately, it didn't end the way they needed it to to keep the coach on the staff. We'll talk about his thoughts on that. You know, and there's a lot of guys wondering, do you get rid of the coach earlier in the season or do you wait till the end of the season? And I thought that, that you know, Kevin brought up a pretty solid point and I thought about, but not the way that he put it out. And that is with this new early signing period, it does give the, 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 the vision's got to maybe be a little different. You know, this isn't what football used to be when they just had – February signing date, and they can kind of drag it out and stick it out and do what they need. Coach Tanner said that. The athletic director said, hey, look, we got to put a guy in spot. 
So does that automatically take out a guy like Hugh Freeze? Does it take out Shane Beamer? Does it take out Tony Elliott? Does it take out these guys who, quite frankly, are coaching programs? Maybe not Shane Beamer, but definitely Hugh Freeze, undefeated 8-0. Definitely Tony Elliott with only that one loss, but well on their way to now finding, hopefully, that opportunity to be in the Final Four. Does that automatically take them out? I don't think that automatically takes them out. I just, um, you know, again, and if you remember with that Alabama situation when um, when Lane Kiffin left, they brought in, I believe it was Sark, who's now the OC or, or still there. They brought in another OC, uh, and they blamed a lot of the miscommunication things uh, in that national championship loss to Clemson uh, on, on the fact that Lane left and they just didn't have time to get into the communication aspects of the offense. Uh, you know, with a different coordinator at such short notice. But, you know, for a guy, I'm going to say the best situation for that to happen would be uh, going back to Shane Beamer. He's assistant head coach, so he's not the head coach. Assistant head coach for offense. We got a pretty darn good feeling that Lincoln Riley does a lot of the calls on that offense and knows that offense like the back of his hand. It's more than likely probably his offense to start with. Um, So I I really think that possibly – uh, Shane might be in the best position if a if a guy was to make a jump before that December fifteenth, or go with Bobby Stoops, who's not coaching at all. Um, I, I'm there's no way on earth Urban Meyer is coming to University of South Carolina. I know uh, there's some talk about going to Texas. As a matter of fact, I tell you, there's a very very bold reporter uh, who asked Tom Herman uh, today, I believe it was, in a morning press conference, if. Um, if he was coming on, uh, that would take that job. Oh, no, we didn't. You already know what time it is. He's going to let my man disappoint and interrupt it like that, but here comes the man with the plan, Reginald Walker. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, we bring him from the streets of Charlotte to the butt of Southern Sports Central. That is the legendary, big-time walking, all-time talking, Reginald Walker, Jr. What's up, Reggie? Finally, Nebraska has won a game. They beat my (laughs) Nittany Lions over the weekend. That hurt, but it is what it is. I had to give you something good to start the night off. That you did. I love the introduction. You give us, you know, I'm thinking, I'm looking, I'm watching. It's 7.08, but yet, who would show up on time to get an appearance and to get an impression? Not this guy. Not the Rock. Not the version of the Rock on Southern Sports Central. Oh, no. Reggie had to do what he had to do and bring in this, uh, I would say, uh, jabroni-style breakdown of Eugene and get him just to, well, shut it down as you come in and hang out with us for a couple minutes. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Good to good to talk to you, man. And uh, you know what a weekend we had in college football. We had a little uh, a little Pac-12 with our Sunday brunch. Uh, we had a a beatdown in, in in Nebraska, and, and 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 we had a chaotic throw that led to a ridiculous catch uh, by DeAndre Hopkins over the weekend. So what a weekend of football, huh? <laughs> yeah, we got a coach that got let go on Sunday. I mean, there's just all kind of good stuff happening around the world of sports. And oh, we're gonna get into that. I already know. So let's start there. Hey, why keep why keep the people waiting? 
right? Let's keep the people ready and willing and able to get educated. You're in Charlotte. You're not far from Columbia, by the way. Actually, Columbia is in the middle of you and I and Eugene, of course. But when you heard that news, and I'm sure you watched some of that game on Saturday night, I thought for one reason that they would learn that that running back, by the way, in South Carolina, that kid's pretty legit strong. Why they don't just feed him the rock play after play is beyond me. But I think it ended up costing Will Muschamp's job on, on Saturday night, along with the defensive meltdown that continues to be a problem for a guy that's supposed to be a defensive coordinator. You being a former college football player for Penn State, covers football around the state, not only in North Carolina, but around the country. What went through your mind when you woke up and you heard the news on Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, that Will Muschamp was no longer the head coach in Columbia? Well, it was a couple things, you know, and, and, and I think what Ray Tanner said recently is, you know, look, the 10-7 the days are over. And you know what, Ray, I'm with you on that. I mean, that's just you're, you're not going to be in a situation to where that's going to work. My problem with that comment, though, is it ain't like that's what Will Muschamp was trying to do because you just mentioned they wouldn't turn around and hand the football off. And if you're not turning around and handing the football off, that means you're not trying to play 10-7 games. So from that mm-hmm. standpoint, this tells me – this was also a decision about a style that South Carolina, at least their administration, would prefer to have uh, for their program. Now, all right, I'm done being nice. South Carolina Athletics, who on this earth do you think you really are? This is a program, guys. Follow me here. Guys, this program has one conference championship in school history in football. Mm-hmm. Let me say that one more time. One conference championship in school history. And that was when they were in the ACC, and they lost all their non-conference games that year. So, again, who do you think you are? And I'm not saying Will Muschamp was getting it done. That's not what I'm suggesting. But this has always been a run-of-the-mill football program. This is, look, the game day experience is great. The stadium is phenomenal. The high school football in the state is tremendous. But when you got that much talent in the state and your program is still not very good, that tells me one thing. The kids in the state don't care to go there. That's what that tells me. I think it's pretty simple, and I'm not trying to pile on this program. Listen, what Steve Spurrier did there, that, that, that stretch of three years of 10-plus wins, that's tremendous. That is the greatest success that program has ever had. In that, in that stretch, guys, I'm going to say it again, they didn't win a conference championship. They won 10 games, but they didn't win a conference championship. Matter of fact, I'd have to look at it, but I'm not sure that they beat Clemson all of those years. I can so, help you out. Again, I'm just wondering from an athletic department standpoint, and again, I'm not suggesting because I think Will Muschamp was something like, 29 and 31 or 39 and, 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 and 40 or something, something very close to right at or maybe two games over 500 or two games under 500. Uh, so I, his record was not beautiful. I'm not suggesting that, you know, it, it, it's, it's just him underachieving. I'm asking the question of the administration. If I am a head coaching candidate that they call me and say, we want to talk to you about our job, the first thing out of my mouth is, what do you think this program should be? What, what level of winning do you expect from me? Not would you prefer, not what that you would want, not what you would hope for. What do you expect from me if I take over this program? 
Because if the expectation is, first of all, if it's anything higher than what Steve Spurrier did, I don't want that job because that ain't realistic. And if it's what Steve Spurrier did, well, that answer ain't going to come from some guy that you've never heard his name before. They're going to have to go get a name that brings recruiting with him. Now, we've heard the Hugh Freeze and the Billy Napier names, all those things, and that sounds great. But does Hugh Freeze want to get back in the SEC so bad that he takes that job, or does he stay at Liberty another year, win another 10 games, because they're going to win 10 this year, win another 10 games, and then he can pick wherever he wants to go in the country? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know about y'all, but it's starting to stink real bad in Stark Vegas. And if that continues, Mr. Leach might be one and done, and Hugh Freeze might be back on his way to Magnolia State. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm going to leave that right there for you. Wow. Well, let me leave this for you. Let me ask you this question. Now, you get a guy who you heard nothing but, you know, different conversations about whether the players liked him, they didn't like him. You know, uh, it's just different questions. Now, for me, you saw earlier, about 36 minutes ago, Jason Horn – a cornerback has decided to stop playing. He is no longer going to play the rest of this year. He's going to sit out and prepare for what he is going to now enter the draft. Now, you being a former player at the college level in a Power 5 conference over there at Penn State, how do you feel about that when one of your teammates, because of a coach, I'm sure that's why he's walking off, quits at this point during the season? And how do you think a college I would say an NFL scout team is going to look at him coming in here knowing that he decided in the middle of the season to just quit and take his ball and get ready for a combine next year or this year. Unfortunately, I'll answer the second one first. Unfortunately, NFL teams don't care. And I think that's why these kids can get away with doing that consistently. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be allowed to. What I'm saying is the National Football League, they'll say, I don't care. Let me see as much film as I can. And, and I want this kid, and I'm going to see how healthy he is and see if he can pass all the tests I put him through, and then I'm going to draft him because I think he can help me, my team win. That's the bottom line. And so whether it's, whether it's Horn, uh, whether it's Micah Parsons, who did it before the season started at Penn State, or anybody in between, the NFL doesn't care. They just want to find the talent that doesn't have red flags somewhere else. And all he has to say is, Listen, I walked away from that because I love football and I want to play for the next 20 years in the National Football League and I want to devote my life to the game. And NFL people will say, we're good with that. Because remember, Josh Rosen did everything right. He played all his college games that he possibly was, you know, able to, uh, uh, you know, with the three years and, and the eligibility standpoint. Then he went to the draft. Then all of a sudden he said a couple of things about football not being the only thing he cares about. And basically, NFL teams were like, yeah, I don't want him either. So at the end of the day, as long as you put football first, the National Football League does not care. That's, that's the latter. The, the former part of that, in terms of being a former player and in that locker room, I'll put it to you this way. It would bother me. It would probably frustrate me. But I, it, I would also very much understand it, and here's why. Because here's the reality, guys. I don't care who these kids are. They don't commit to schools anymore. They don't commit to programs. They commit to coaches. That kid committed to Will Muschamp. If Will ain't going to be there no more, he's not going to be there. And half of that locker room, that's the same thing. Half of that locker room, if it ain't Will, it's, the, it's Mike Bobo, the offensive coordinator, or whoever the case it may be. If, if all of a sudden Will would have walked out the door and Mike Bobo would have left with him, guess what? 
that quarterback probably leaving too because people forget the quarterback, that's a transfer from Colorado State. Where did Mike Bobo come from? Colorado State. Him and Joe Cox and all those guys were at Colorado State. So at the end of the day, if, if Mike Bobo would have walked out that door alongside of Will Muschamp, you would have probably seen a lot more players leaving too. Good points here. Let me ask you this, and I am going to bring Eugene in because I know he had a couple of questions for you tonight as well. As we are live right now with our man of the hour, 7 o'clock, we stop right there in Charlotte, North Carolina with a guy that does lots and lots and lots of sports for around not only Charlotte and the North Carolina area, he does it right here on Southern Sports Central in the South Carolina market. Now, former player, not only of the University of South Carolina and those Conway Tigers up there on the Grand Strand, he's currently with the Las Vegas Raiders has now chimed in about two hours ago. He said this, all firing champ did was restart the process over again. Looking back on how Spurrier left the program, Muschamp did what he could with what he had. Fans will be calling on the next coach's head after four seasons, too. The job isn't a quick fix, especially when you have to compete with a team up the street for in-state recruits. Now, here's my thing to that in quotations. They're not getting the in-state kids. They're letting Tennessee. They're letting Navy. They're letting Georgia State. They're letting anybody else, the University of North Carolina, like they got a wide receiver from Myrtle Beach, J.J. Jones, out of the state. So they're not competing with guys in the state because the kids in the state are leaving because Clemson doesn't want the kids in the state on a regular basis. You and I both know that. Your thoughts on that and as well as how we have allowed so many of these kids out of our own state into other five-star programs around the country. Guys, that's my exact point. That, that's why I'm saying it's not just on Muschamp. Even when Spurrier was there, I know people are qu- will be quick to say, what about Clowney? Okay, that's great. You got one. They didn't get Daquan Bowers to go to South Carolina. He went to Clemson. So we can continue to go down this list. Okay, they got, they got Ken Law. That's a, good, that's a good get. But if you go back into history, A.J. Green, where did he go? Georgia. Georgia. Okay. He, he, didn't go to, he didn't go to Columbia. So at the end of the day, to me, guys, it's real simple. And, and, and it, it goes back to, to really uh, – I shouldn't say it goes back to, but it correlates to what Urban Meyer was talking about over the weekend. I don't know if you guys saw that segment where he was talking about checking under the hood and looking within a program. I, I, I'll use the term self-scout. It's time for the athletic department and all of the administration, really, because to me, you don't win – like a place like Alabama does if everybody's not on the same page. Same thing at Clemson, uh, same thing at Ohio State. The administration, athletic department, coaches, everybody's got to be on the same page if you want to win big consistently. And I'm telling you, they have to look within themselves, self-scout the university and the athletic department and that football program and figure out why the best players in that state don't want to come to the state capitol and play in front of that in front of that crowd in that awesome stadium with that tremendous atmosphere. Why don't the best players in that state want to go there? That's what they need to try to figure out because that's the answer to the riddle. The problem is they refuse to accept that there's a riddle that they need to be trying to solve. I totally agree with you, actually. And and this, Eugene, I did read what he wrote. And uh, a a lot of the the non-Kool-Aid drinking South Carolina fans said that uh, the South Carolina program just needed to uh, flip ahead. Don't don't worry about one and two. They just need to flip ahead to number three. And number three was that uh, 
you know, you need to basically lift the veil up and see what you are and see why you are going that way. Because some of the other things, you know, once once you get that and, and build that trust, because one and two was a lot about the trust of players. And if, if players don't trust each other, you're not going to win. If they don't That's have right. the trust of the coaches, you're not going to win. If they have a question of why are we doing this every day, you're not going to win. And so it was a very good, um, very good article. But like I said, some of the guys that were, uh, that you know, the non-cool uh, garnet Kool-Aid drinkers, they said, "Hey guys, if you want to know what the deal is, just go ahead and skip ahead to uh, part three or or the third thing." And it didn't say number three; it said finally, uh, and, and then it led into looking under the hood. Um, and, and I do agree with you, and it's been such a frustration. I'll tell you, uh, since we've gotten to know the coastal staff so well. We were pretty frustrated with Coastal Program a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a whole year where they didn't sign one single player from the state of South Carolina. Uh, they, they have certainly, certainly made amends for that quick, hard, fast, and, and beautifully by just hitting up kids that may or may not have a chance to play Division One football. They could be the five, seven, five, eight receiver. But like the guy said, you know what, sophomore year, we're going to hit these guys up because you never know how a kid's going to play, how a kid's going to develop. Uh, they're blanketing the state uh, with uh, you know, a lot of the tension. The kids love it. You're not seeing that from the state of South Carolina. You know, when you look at, you know, you just go down and you'll see, you know, the top receivers in the state. Um, you'll get, I don't know, the, let's say the first one's probably going to go to Clemson. This year coming up, he's, he's probably not going to Clemson. There's another out-of-state school that's been a dream school for him, similar to A.J. Green. You understand that. But what about numbers two, three, four, and five? Why are they going to Tennessee? Why are they going to, last year, a kid from Columbia, South Carolina, wide receiver who caught the game-winning touchdown uh, for Dutch Fork High School, goes down to University of South Florida. Uh, No, wait, he goes to Tennessee and, and, uh, you know, Forces Alabama secondary in a game. There's a kid uh, from from Columbia as well, uh, Omar Dollison. He's now the leading receiver as a freshman at South Florida. The other second receiver is a freshman from right here in um, Charleston, South Carolina, who played at First Baptist uh, and Sincere Brown. And so between the two guys, their two leading receivers as freshmen are from the state of South Carolina at University of South Florida. Uh, and, and there are just so many around the state that's just unreal. Uh, and I know you can't sign everybody and you reach out and things like that. It just seems like the heaviest recruiting uh, emphasis has been on Atlanta and certain pockets of Florida. But really Atlanta for the South Carolina program, I have thought for years, even back before Muschamp was hired, you've got to find, and I'll lead you into this because I'll ask you, uh, you've got to find a Charlotte connection, much like Brad Loing was when he was on the defensive line at South Carolina. Now, I, look, I totally agree. And I, one of the first things I would do if I took over that program right now, and again, let me say this real quick, guys. And we both, we all three know this, right? One of the main things that football teams do every single week is what? They watch film of themselves, this department is not looking at film of their self. That is a problem. If I were to take over that program right now, and again, I don't know some of the inner workings of what's going on inside of the building. So, so 
for people at home listening, I'm not sitting here saying I'm the know-it-all of South Carolina football. I'm just putting the questions that are obvious out there. But I will say this. If I took over that South Carolina program right now, I'm going to the administration and I'm saying, listen, I need at least one position. One, I need, I need, I, we can find out what title we need to make it up to be to make it legal. But I need one person, whether they're actually coaching on the field or not, but I need one person that their sole job is to make sure our relationships with all the high school coaches in this state is tight. And you know who I'm looking at for something like that? I'm going to guys that have consistently won state championships or played for state championships in that state that have really good reputations amongst other coaches in the state. I'm not talking about the guy that beats everybody 52 to nothing because he probably doesn't have any friends. But I want to talk to the guy that beats everybody 28 to 17, and after the game, every other coach is saying, yeah, they beat us, but, you know, that, that's a good football team. They're well coached, and their coach over there is a great guy. You need right. that guy as a part of that staff because he can help build, mend, correct, however you want to phrase it, the relationships across that state to where more kids may be interested at the urging of their high school coaches to go to Columbia. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you where I'd start. I would uh, pull up a calendar, search on the Internet, Google whatever you got to do, and I would find out when the next North Carolina state head coaches meeting is, and I'm going to go to that meeting, and I'm going to shake a yep. bunch of hands. I might take a few dudes out for a beer or something afterwards. Uh, and, and the president or, or someone along those lines for the North Carolina High School Coaches Association, you figure probably the yep. president because he's got to be liked enough to get enough votes to become president, and, and yep. we will become real good friends. And I'm going to find okay. out what he needs. And I'm going to have two tickets for him and his wife at every game. You know what I'm saying? Eugene, I'm gonna, I'm, they're going to be at World Ball with his name on it and a golf cart ride. I'm going to tell you how, how important that is. Guys, check this out. I'm going to hit you with a little something-something. Do y'all remember why Rich Rodriguez left West Virginia? He had a big I spat do. with his athletic department over access for state high school coaches at games. Basically, the administration wanted to make those high school coaches pay to come to games in Morgantown. And Rich Rod was saying, no, we should let them be there, even if it means they're standing on the sideline. But we need to let them in there because we only get three or four kids a year in the entire state of West Virginia that are good enough to play in – well, back then it was Big East football. Now to play in the Big 12. I mean, let's just call it what it is. If, if, if there's a class of 10 kids that are Power 5 level talent in the state of West Virginia in consecutive years, those people will lose their minds. And part of that is just a population thing. Okay, I'm not saying that there aren't good athletes there. That's a population thing. And so you have to make sure the access for those high school coaches and those relationships with the college program are intact. I don't know what's going on in South Carolina, but I'm going to tell you right now, that will go a long way in helping keep some of those kids at home. Yeah, I totally agree with you, man. Uh, I know Rich is uh, sounding the alarms. I guess we're at 729, but – you know, real quick, man, uh, before you sign off, what do you think is going to turn around quickly your uh, Penn State program? 
I think the main thing for Penn State is they got to – look, guys, I, and this is one of the things I noticed during that game. Yeah, they changed quarterbacks. They went to Will Levis, who can run the ball a little bit. He's a little more physical uh, compared to Sean Clifford. But what I saw is Kevon Lee and, and, and uh, the other freshmen, uh, uh, those two kids both had 25-plus yard runs. They both showed me that they're explosive enough. You add that to Devin Ford, who we've seen. Look, turn around and hand the ball to those three backs. This offensive line is average at best. The best way to improve an offensive line is let them fire off the ball and run block. Now, to that point, everything in the running game cannot be zone read. I think that's, that's the first thing they got to do. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to have to play a little bit more zone, play back off a little bit more. They don't have the speed on defense that we've seen in the past at Penn State. So those, I think, are the main two things that need to happen in that program. And then, obviously, don't turn the football over. Uh, that's period, point blank. If you turn the football over, you are going to get beat every time if you turn that ball over consistently. That's something they got to clean up as well. So, guys, I, you know, when I look at that program, sometimes it's about looking in the mirror. And, and, and again, we talked about it with South Carolina. you got to self-scout first. And you know what? If you're going to sit there and tell me James Franklin, right, and, and, and I don't have an issue with Franklin, but I'll say it this way. If you're going to tell me that these two freshman running backs are going to be really good and you think they have a bright future, hey, you're missing two other guys? Turn around and hand the young guys the ball. That's what they're there for. They ain't there to be babysat. Take the diapers off. Let them play football. That's all I got to say about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you, brother, as always. Uh, you do a great job. We got to head to a break. Maybe Wednesday, let's look at the calendar. Let's look at the frames and see if it fits for you to come back in with us, talk some more college football. And, again, as always, uh, thanks for what you do. Let's catch up here towards the end of the week. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Take care. We, uh, let's definitely get Wednesday worked out. Until then, we are. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, and the legend right here on Southern Sports Central. One of the best in the biz and a good friend of both Eugene and myself. He supports us. He uh, educates us and he entertains us right here at 7 o'clock on Monday nights. I almost said Wednesday. Monday nights is Reginald Walker Jr. Played football for the legendary. Of course, uh, Joe Paterno. So he does have that, uh, that, that, that love for uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions. We'll talk more about that maybe on Wednesday with him. Uh, we do have coming up in just a little bit, Lou Bizjack. He is with the state paper. He covers the state. I mean, all over the state. He covers high school from the upper side to the lower side and everything in between. That's probably why they got him living in the capital city of South Carolina. He'll talk about that. I'm sure we'll talk some more Gamecock stuff. We'll possibly talk some other stuff around the world. But my big thing is I want to hit him up in some thoughts on the Sweet 16. Don't go anywhere. The man with the plan, and that is Lou Bizjack coming in right after this from the state paper. We'll be right back, guys. There is nothing more intoxicating than the meld of emotions and sensations that is Friday night. Friday night is the sound of that crowd, the pride of that community, the way that that grass smells. I've never felt in my adult life the way that I felt on Friday nights. That's what those kids are playing for. They're playing for that emotion. They're playing for that brotherhood and all of that sensory input that comes from Friday night. That's why they're playing high school football in this country. It is this common thread that weaves through the American fabric. Whether you live in Compton, California, or you live in Appalachia, 
if you played the game at the high school level, you have this common bond of representing that community. Anyone who disparages where the game is based on myriad reasons, I'm not buying it. I'm around the game every day on these campuses. I see the impact it has on these young men. I see the way that these coaches are able to grow high school boys into NFL or professional men, and it's just beautiful. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Yellman alongside Eugene Benton. We now head to Columbia, South Carolina. We're joined in here with one of the best in the biz, and that is Lou Bizjag. Lou, good evening from the low country to the middle of the state of South Carolina, my friend. Hey, Richie. How you doing tonight, man? Man, I'm good. I'm not as busy as you. I, I'm sure of that. <laughs> I'm sure. Guys like you, man, you and, and David Shelton, you guys that do what you do are heroes in our books on the radio. We got the easy part. We just read what you guys write. But nevertheless, man, man, Columbia is definitely not only the hot spot for the high school league and the center of all of it, but we'll, we'll talk quickly about Will Muschamp, man. He's gone. New coaches coming in. I know you're kind of got your ears to the ground, and you're very close to a lot of those inside Columbia, inside the rim. What's your thoughts, and who do you think's uh, the top three if you had to pick them? Yeah, it uh, definitely was probably not a surprise. I know some fans, have, everyone's kind of been clamoring for it, and then with the performance the last three weeks, it's, it was hard to argue. I mean, the way they've gotten blown out and given up so many yards last week to Ole Miss, you knew it was coming, and uh, uh, they were a um, – lowered the hammer yesterday to him and like i said it's a tough decision i know ray tanner he even got choked up a little bit today talking about it i i know he's very close to will Muschamp, and just it's tough for everything but um yeah they're uh i think they'll try and move quickly i mean with that early signing period uh middle of december uh, i think they want to get someone in place definitely before that um the names i mean everyone's kind of throwing out the same names Hugh freeze from liberty um, Billy Napier from uh, Louisiana, who has a lot of ties from South Carolina. Um, Jamie Chadwell's name been mentioned. I don't think – me personally, I don't think uh, that would be a great fit right now, but maybe in a, in a couple years. I, I think he'll get a bigger job eventually. Um, Steve Sarkeesian's name also been mentioned, uh, offense coordinator at Alabama and obviously was a head coach at Southern Cal. Uh, th- those are – uh, four of the ones that are definitely some has mentioned Skip Holtz maybe who's at Louisiana Tech so it's going to be interesting uh, I'm sure talks and stuff are already in place and uh, like I said it's going to be a in- busy and interesting uh, next month see how everything transpires and what goes on with the players who transfers you already saw tonight J.C. Horn uh, announce he's going to enter the draft he'll, he'll uh, skip the final three games so we'll see if that um, has any effect if any more players join or uh, join that way or uh, hit hit the transfer portal in the next few weeks. No doubt as we're talking quickly with uh, Lou Bezjack from the state paper hanging out in the capital city right where all the news is happening not only with the Gamecocks of South Carolina and the replacement that's going to be announced here, I would imagine, the next couple of weeks in Columbia after Will Muschamp uh, steps aside for the next man to come up and get the opportunity to get the Gamecocks where they need to be, where the fans want them to be. But it's also the home of the South Carolina High School Football League. That is, of course, something that here we go. We are in round two, the Elite Eight. We skipped the first round in reality and went straight to the Sweet 16 in the second round. 
But before we get to this week, man, uh, what were your biggest surprise, Lou, out of coming out of this past weekend and uh, some of the teams that early exited out of the uh, the playoffs? Yeah, I, I thought uh, um, Irmo pulling on, go, going the west side and winning there. I knew they had the chance and the ability to do it with Coach Brand's doing, but to go on the road and do that, that definitely was a little bit of a surprise. I think uh, – uh, Woodland, the way Barnwell beat Woodland in that first round, that was a surprise. I know Barnwell's gotten better from when I saw him early in, in the Jamboree and uh, definitely are a factor in 2A. Um, Catala Ridge, I think, going to Greer, I think might have surprised some, especially just because they're a newer program. But that's a heck of a job they're, they're doing up there and uh, could be a factor uh, for the next few years in 4A. So, um yeah, you saw some. I kind of like. I know a lot of talking. A lot of people they like um, with the shortened playoff. I mean, just having the one or two seeds and some at-large berths. I mean, you saw a lot better football, a lot more upsets. I think only Class A was the only one that didn't have any uh, lower seeds or uh, visiting teams win. So uh, you saw a little bit more competitive games. I know I was at a uh, interesting and a fun one at Camden Brooklyn Casey game, which took about three and a half hours of play, but. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the first round of the playoffs, and I think this week going to be even better. Uh, you're, it's high-level uh, quality of football and uh, teams, a lot of unbeaten teams going up against each other, so it should be fun. Live right now hanging out with the man up there in Columbia, Lou Jack. He is with the State Paper talking the South Carolina high school, high school playoffs as we head into round two. Now, I was uh, covering this year, had the blessing and the opportunity to be the voice over on FD Sports TV for the Patriots. Now, you you know River Bluff really well. I got to tell you what, number one, well, he's actually number four. I say number one, but number four on that roster, man, that running back kid is the truth. I thought the running back game was really good, but the defense, I thought that defense from River Bluff did what they needed to do to slow down the fastest and, and high scoring offense in the state coming into the playoffs, and that was the Patriots of Fort Dorchester, when you saw that score, were you like Phil Cornblue and all of everybody else across the state who texted me and said, did that really just happen? What was your thoughts when you saw Riverbluff come down to the low country and knock out a team that's been in the top three of the state all year long? Yeah, definitely a surprise. I knew um, Coach Harden and uh, Riverbluff, they had the capability. Just uh, It's hard to get a read on this team this year. I think prior to the game, they only played four games. I mean, uh, one of the games against Dutch Fork, which – um, obviously Dutch Fork uh, uh, beat them, but I, you're right about uh, the running back. Riley Myers <laughs> is a tough runner, and uh, I just hope he, his recruiting uh, continues to take off. I, I think he uh, can be a factor, uh, uh, depend, like maybe like a Citadel or a program like that. I think he's just a hard runner, and uh, he's, he does a great job, and their line's pretty good. And you mentioned their defense, holding the Fort Dorchester to uh, just 78 yards passing heck of a job and I know uh there was something going in and uh, sometimes this matchups you know uh they had the extra week and uh or coming off a win over Lexington their their rival they had some uh, momentum going and I just I mean that was a perfect storm Blair Harden I think uh, River Bluff like I said take away their losses to Dutch Fork the last few years they've been really good up here and uh uh going to the second round and I expect another physical um game against Sumter who likes to run the ball and uh, 
pound the ball at you. I expect another low-scoring game, and we're big plays or trick plays. I know they scored on a uh, kind of a trick play, so anything's possible. And Coach Arden knows how to get it done, and has has them really believe in the the change since he he came over um, from North Carolina to take over the River Bluff program. He has them really believing and has this program going in the right direction. Yeah, that'd be a good one when River Bluff travels to Sumter. The Gamecocks win over Berkeley. Wasn't surprised by that one. But you look at the other matchup in the lower state in 5A, Lou, and that is Dutch Fork. Now, Dutch Fork, until you beat them, you got to keep them on the top of the heap. And that, of course, a team uh, very well coached is going to see Carolina Forest again. Now, does Carolina Forest, yeah. it seems like they're still punching, but do they got enough to compete with the Dutch Fork team in round two? Yeah, I mean, uh, they – they surprised and the effort they showed last year in the lower state championship game against Dutch Fork. I was really impressed. Of course, this year they don't have Mason Garcia, um, who, who's at East Carolina now, but just looking at some of their numbers and just the, the way they've been pretty much blowing people out and their only loss was to Sumter in, in overtime. I think, you know, they have that confidence having been there last year, made that long trip um, from the beach up to Dutch Fork. And uh, I think, uh, it should be a good matchup. This isn't the Dutch Fork team, maybe that we've offensively that we've come to know in the last uh, few years, but they're still potent. Uh, their receivers are as good as anyone in the state with Antonio Williams and Elijah Spencer and uh, Will Taylor has been really solid coming over um, uh, from Ben Lippin. Uh, he's uh, committed to play at Clemson for baseball and football, and uh, he's really been solid. Jarvis Green was bothered by an injury or late in the year, but uh, played and played really well last week and defensively I mean coach Knotts uh, said earlier in this year he was this is one of the better defenses they've ever had and uh, that's saying something because last year's defense was really good but the way they fly to the ball and Nick Pelham's as good as it gets as far as a defense coordinator in the state and he'll have his guys game planned and ready to go so it should be a fun matchup on Friday. Now, talking about another fun matchup, we say in 5A, we look at Tail Hannah. They knock out Ridgeview, Perry Parks. Uh, welcome into 5A football. You made it to the playoffs, something to keep your head up. I think he's building it. It's just not there yet. And to play Tail Hannah, kind of a tough number to get. But they will see Gaffney. Boy, is Gaffney legit. This is kind of like a heavyweight matchup there, Lou. What are you looking at of a game like this? Yeah, you look at the four teams that are left in the upper state, just the tradition and the power. You got T.O. Hanna, Gaffney, and then Dorman and Northwestern. Those are two uh, high-quality matchups. Yeah, I think the key will be for Gaffney to stop that running attack, which uh, Ridgey wasn't able to do uh, after that first quarter. They jumped out to that 14-0 lead, but I think uh, T.O. Hanna finished with over 300 yards rushing against them. So that's going to be the key. We know Gaffney has the playmakers. They have Ingram Dawkins, uh, the number one uh, prospect in the state on defense, and then they got the receiver who transferred uh, from North Carolina, who's going committed to North Carolina. So they definitely have the firepower. I think it's going to come down to stopping that run at T.L. Hanna, making them one-dimensional. And uh, if they can do that, Gaffney could be playing for the Upper State Championship next week. Curious if they got any Little Johns. That's kind of a household name in high school football in the world of Gaffney football. Now, that being said, Dorman, Dorman's just, man, they're rolling. They did exactly what they needed to against a team out of Boiling Springs. I like to call them Dorman U. Do you think Dorman kind of uh, the team to beat on that left side, if you will, that upper state, the final eighth of the top four? Yeah, I think that, that was my pick before the playoffs. I mean, I know they lost to Gaffney earlier in the year by one point, but I just think with their uh, the way they – their offense, where they run the ball with Chance Black, who's really put on a show last year in the state championship game. He's going to Virginia Tech. So, yeah, I think it'll be a good game. Uh, the way Paige Walford's had 
uh, Northwestern turnaround. They, they, they were out to get them. I mean, after last year, uh, uh, two win season and, uh, had a chance to see them play earlier this year against Ridgeview. They got some athletes definitely passed the eye test and they got some playmakers, uh, college, uh, college looking dudes to play. And, uh, they were able to get it done against Ridgeview that night. And yeah, I think it should be a good ball game. They just, uh, like I said, uh, Northwestern, the tradition of both programs, uh, I think it's good to see and uh, good to see Northwestern back and other people in Rock Hill uh, like to see that. And we'll see what happens uh, with those two powerhouse programs meeting on Friday. Yeah, we're going to talk some upsets as we look at 4A football. Buford took out West Florence. I don't think that was a surprise for you or me. You do see Myrtle Beach knocking out South Aiken. Your thoughts on these two, Beaufort, Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach, and the Cinderella in the lower state. It is what it is to me. That's North Augusta. They've got a guy that can kick it. They've got a few that can run it and a guy that can throw it. But do they have enough to take out North Myrtle Beach? And who wins that big game, the Beaufort, Myrtle Beach, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I like North Myrtle Beach. I think they definitely are the favorite in the lower state. Uh, Matt Real has done a great job. That program has been building over the last few years, uh, from when Perry Rulebright was there and then Blair Harden, who's now River Bluff, to now. Uh, they've really taken it to the next level. And just the way they destroyed uh, Myrtle Beach in that last game of the season, I think they, they get it done. And Buford, I think no one's really talked about them. They had some games canceled, but and uh, they got a good second-year coach. They got plenty of athletes, uh, talented group, uh, really good quarterbacks. Uh, he put up a bunch of numbers. I think he had almost close to over 300, close to 400 yards of offense uh, against uh, West Florence. So that uh, should be a great matchup. They're at home. Uh, we know about Myrtle Beach and uh, uh, the program Mickey Wilson has there. Uh, Ryan Berger was able to come off the bench, play last week. Uh, we'll see his status um, on Friday. He's a, definitely a big part of that offense, uh, being the quarterback and the health. I think uh, Adam Randall, I saw him may, might miss a day or two of practice. He's kind of banged up. So they need him and J.J. Jones. Uh, it's the finest duo probably in the state and uh, definitely will be a handful for uh, Buford to contend with. So in Buford, it's, it's been a while before since they've been in this kind of spot uh, with spotlight on them. So it should be fun. They'll be at home and uh, ready to go. Yeah, now we look at the other side, the upset you mentioned, Irmo taking out Coach Early's West Side boys and the quarterback at, Ur at West Side I thought was incredible all year long. But Irmo just uh, had that storyline. They had that, that ending that they needed. They will see a team that I don't know a whole lot about, and this is what I need your help on, Lou. Teach me about this Catawba Ridge that took out Greer, man. I mean, you got Irmo, Catawba Ridge. You got South Point taking out Greenwood. You got AC Florida, which I think is the team to beat in the upstate, possibly around the state in 4A football. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Catawba Ridge, second-year program. I mean, the Copperheads uh, turned some heads, and they, they made it look easy last week against Greer. Um, and now they got to come to Irmo. Both, like you said, both number two seeds win. Um, or Coach Aaron Brands, I think, going to have something special building at Irmo. I mean, program has a great history, and it had fallen a little bit on hard times. And uh, I think last week's playoff win was their first one since 2012. And they haven't won a home playoff game in a decade. So uh, it should be fun at W.C. Hawkins Stadium on Friday night. Irmo um, not doing it passing. They, they got, they're got they running the ball. They got uh, Dylan Williams, a quarterback. And then when they put uh, Dedrick Starks at Wildcat, they, they're really – and they throw in Jayon Chambers. And they, they had uh, – they rushed for over 300 yards uh, combined, those three, last week and the week before. So they get that running game going. They're going to be tough to beat. 
I know Catawba Ridge has a lot of athletes, and being the new kid on the block, uh, they they have nothing to lose. Uh, I know they're uh, trying to build. We know what that area up there is growing in the Fort Mill area, and this would be a huge moment for them uh, making the, if they can make it to the upper state championship in their second year. And we mentioned uh, Flora and South Point. I mean, I, I think Flora is the team to beat in upper state. They were my pick, and I uh, got to see them play a couple times this year. They're just uh, dynamic on offense. They got three or four running backs that can uh, really uh, come at you. Ethan Beamish is solid at quarterback. He's done a great job since uh, transferring. Uh, got some guys on the outside like Eric Rice that can jump up and make some plays. Chris Lofton as well. And then defensive, that, that defensive line is strong with uh, Stevens, Hammond, and uh, Jalen Brown. Uh, <laughs> they're like, like a college uh, defensive line up front and uh, really can get in, put some pressure on the quarterback and stop that running game. So um, South Point, I know uh, that win last week at doing it with the JV quarterback that they brought up. Um, I think he'll be the third quarterback they've had play this year. Uh, Omega Blake is uh, going to USC and uh, he's a playmaker. If, they'll use him some at quarterback, but they really want him to get the ball on the outside at wide receiver. And that'll be the key. Uh, I saw them earlier against Dutch Fork and uh, uh, Dutch Fork had their way. It wasn't their best night, but uh, South Point with the tradition and Coach Holloman, good to see him get his first playoff win last week. Yeah. But uh, like I said, Flora, even though it's on the road, I think definitely, um, I think come out of there with the win. Uh, but it should be a good ball game, though. Should definitely be one. Uh, let's look at the three real quick. Oceanside, Camden. Oceanside wins over Aner. Camden wasn't probably their best win, but it's the win. And Brooklyn Casey on the team that they would see, the winner of that one will either play Gilbert or Dylan is Dylan one on Saturday. Gilbert takes out Lake city on Friday. Your thoughts on three a on the lower state. Does Oceanside have enough as they host a team like Camden and probably saw some good film against Brooklyn Casey to work with. Yeah, it was a heck of a game. 52, 44 Camden. I think this is going to be another high scoring game. I know Oceanside likes to score. They're big up front with that offensive line. Uh, Camden. I mean, they've been building for this year in coach Rimp's third year. Um, they got a Mr. Football finalist in Willis Lane and a guy like Leroy Bracey, a good one-two punch out of the backfield. And Jafari Pearson, he runs that read option, and he could throw the ball too. Um, I think defensively they got to shore a couple things up, but they are uh, they got a guy in McLeod that's a sophomore, got a USC offer. He's just he's pretty big, and he's going to be one that, uh, that you're going to talk about for the next few years. He'll be one of the top prospects in his class. Uh, uh, coming up and uh, they got some playmakers like Joseph Burns comes up with uh, two interceptions last week and one to seal the game after BC got the onside kick had a chance to come and tie it late after being down uh, 32 to seven but, but he picked off uh, pass BC ran a little trick play and uh, was intercepted so uh, I think at Camden uh, I mean you got to stop that run and uh, we'll see Oceanside will be I know they struggled against the run against uh Gray earlier this year, and uh, Casey Adam was able to run. So we'll see if they're able to stop Camden's attack. Beast, uh, Gilbert and Dylan, I mean, this is third time in the last four years they've played all at Gilbert. Dylan, we know about the tradition. They were able to beat uh, Gilbert. Last year was a classic, a great game. I think it was 34-27. Uh, Dylan was able to get a win. Uh, a shorter week to prepare, but I know they, they got a good-looking offense. You talk about the, the receivers, and you got Bobo McKinnon and Amari Huggins, who's a D1 guy, and it's um, already committed to play. Uh, I think it's Virginia Tech, and then um, you got a 
you got their offensive line who's always big. It's going to be a challenge. Gilbert, I think, I didn't know what to expect from them this year with losing so many seniors and a talented offense last year. And this year, last year they threw the ball a lot. This year they relying on that running game. Colton Mason moving over from linebacker to running back and I think he's got about 1,300 yards, had another big 200-yard game in, in the opener against Lake City. So uh, I know Gilbert's going to have their hands full, but um, being at home, that's a great atmosphere to play, even though it's uh, with the limited attendance and should be should be a fun night with uh, the two communities, the way they support uh, high school football. Now we look at the three on the upstate. Wren drops down from four, wins the state championships. Last last year you and I were at that game where they beat a Myrtle Beach team, but now they'll see the likes of Woodruff and the Elite Eight in the upstate. You got Chapman, who, of course, won the 3A, if I'm not mistaken, uh, won 3A last year. We were there at that game as well. That being said, they will see Daniel. Now, what do you know and like about the team like Daniel taking on Chapman that's got a lot of good, talented, coached-up kids before they even got to Daniel? And then that Woodruff-Wren matchup seems like two good matchups on a Friday night in the upstate. Yeah, Wren, I mean, they had to – it was a little closer than I thought against uh, Fairfield, but they were able to get a win. Uh, they like to sling in the ball. Uh, Coach Tate's done a great job up there. And uh, like I said, winning the state championship last year and now this year uh, right in contention in 3A. Um, should be a good matchup with Woodruff. I think the the other matchup, I mean, everyone has their eyes on that. I think that's uh, top two of the top three teams in ranked in the state, uh, kind of like a state championship matchup uh, almost with uh, Chapman and Daniel with the tradition and the offense and uh, the way the teams uh, play. They got playmakers all over the ball. Um, Chapman lost some. I mean, they lost a lot from last year, and, and they lost their coach too going to Spartanburg. Um, but uh, we're able to put things together, and uh, it should be a great matchup in the upstate. I think that's one of the game, the marquee matchups of the week, uh, uh, Chapman and Daniel. And uh, I don't know. I'm uh, Chapman. I, I like them in this one, but I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel won either. The way I think they're two evenly matched teams. Yeah, I agree with you here. We try to wrap you up here. I don't want to keep you too long because I want to make sure you come back when we have an opportunity. And we look at the two-way, and that is Andrews and Pillion taking on on Friday night. Andrews, big win over Sherrall. Pillion beats out Phillip Simmons. Hey, not a bad look for Phillip Simmons, one of the newer programs in the state, but they are bounced out in week one. By the way, Charleston County, Dorchester County, and Berkeley County had 13 teams in the playoffs. As you know, Lou, only – Three mm-hmm. survive. Now, you can add on that as well. But looking at the Barnwell and Marion matchup as well, your thoughts on all that that I just threw your way, talking two-way and talking about the uh, amount of teams out of the low country that were all knocked out early. Yeah, that, that was a surprise. I mean, uh, Oceanside's uh, really kind of carrying the banner uh, from that group. It it was uh, kind of a surprise, like I said, with 4D losing and then Berkeley and you know, played Sumter and yeah, so definitely not a good, great showing uh, for for the low country uh, this year in the postseason. Um, Pelion, I think, is kind of one of the Cinderella stories around, at least around here. Uh, it, it had been a while since they won a region championship, and I think it had been since uh, 14 years, and they won it. They beat a good Wade Hampton team on uh, Thursday night before uh, the end of the regular season. And uh, it, it, Coach Holland, he, he won state championship at Hunter Kennard. Uh, Tyler, uh, it's just taken a few years to get things going at Pelion. I think dropping the two A's really helped them a lot. And uh, they got two athletes, two Division One 
Army uh, commits uh, and uh, Deshantez Gray and um, Will Jeffcoat uh, both play both ways. Uh, Gray is just uh, – he, he looks the part, man. He plays tight end and he plays defensive end. Um, they're not very flashy. Uh, like I said, uh, when they beat Varnwell, I think, earlier in the year, they had a bunch of defensive touchdowns and uh, special teams last week. Uh, quarterback uh, Jacob Stransky. Uh, he had a return to kickoff for a touchdown. It's one of their two scores. So they're not. It's not a glamour. They're not. They're going to come pound the ball at you, uh, run the ball, and play solid defense. And might throw in a few wrinkles and trick play there to uh, kind of spice things up. But it should be a fun matchup. And the other matchup, I know, um, uh, Marion. Uh, Marion's. Uh, like I said, they got TJ Sanders as a Gamecock commit, and uh, they they got some big play potential. And we know Barnwell. I mean, and they've been there. I mean, they were in the state championship uh, last year, uh, lost a lot, but and then got off to kind of a slow start. Like I said, they lost a billion earlier in the year, but uh, bounced back, made it to the playoffs, and then get a good win last week. So they got all the momentum right now, and they they've really gotten better as the seasons went along. Now we start to kind of look at the upstate. Uh, your thoughts on the upstate and when it comes down to uh, 2A football and who do you think kind of survives that gauntlet up there because a lot of really good football played up that number. Yeah, I mean, Abbeville's kind of been – I mean, Abbeville-Chesney should be a good matchup, but Abbeville's just been dominant. You look at their numbers, I mean, they've given up 21 points all year, all in one game uh, to a team, uh, Christ School out of uh, North Carolina, so they haven't allowed a point to a team from South Carolina this year. So definitely <laughs> and the tradition they have, they're used to winning. They didn't came up short last year in the state championship or in the upper state championship game to uh, salute us. So they definitely are motivated and got a, they want to get back to the championship game. And then on the lower side of the bracket, I, I think gray, I think gray and Abbeville are the two best teams in the upper state at uh, gray. They played last year and they lost in the semifinals. Uh, Gray's back. They got a lot of, they lost Tenor Helms, who's at Clemson right now, but uh, Trey Robinson has been really good, both throwing and running the ball. And uh, what can you say about KZ Adams? Another huge game last week, four touchdowns, I think 175 yards, uh, over a thousand yards again, and just it's just been a heck of a year for him. Um, he's a little guy, speed, speedy, and uh, he's fun to watch. And then they got guys like Chris Roan, who's uh, committed to Coastal Carolina, um, who's uh, I think kind of a sleeper as far as a college on the next level, uh, he plays both ways. He plays defensive back and he can catch the ball and they get a, they're really big up front. And I really like gray and uh, if gray and Abbeville meet again next week, I think that'll be a fantastic matchup if they can survive and uh, get on to the upper state championship. Hanging out for the final few minutes here with the man with the plan in the capital city of Columbia, South Carolina, talking the final win, and that is 1A in Carver's Bay, Lakeview. They win big on Friday night. They advance to the Elite Eight along with Bamberg. How about that one? Beating out C.E. Murray and Well Branch, the other low country team, takes out Johnsonville. Your likes on these four parts of the lower part of the low country or the lower part of the lower state in 1A. Yeah, Lakeview, Carver's Bay there. They two programs know each other, playing each other over the years, and just that should be a heck of a matchup. Just uh, um, it's always a good matchup with those two, and they're used to playing deep in the postseason. Covers Bay. It's been a been a few years since they had gotten back to this point, but uh, they're ready to go. And then Well Branch, I think, moving dropping the two A to one A, going unbeaten and blowing teams out like they have been, should be a great matchup against Bamberg, who 
prior to last week against Steve Murray, I think they had only allowed eight points uh, on, on the season. So should be a, a great matchup and uh, uh, four strong teams. Like I said, all the top seeds, um, the higher seeds or the home teams won. So should be uh, fun to watch this week. Now the final one is South Christian. You got to teach me a little bit about these guys. And I didn't realize that these guys are pretty, they're pretty solid across the board from what I'm being told here, Lou, but they're going to see uh, a team out of the upstate with uh, Mr. B. Hilda. Mike Bill Hilda will be uh, hosting them, or excuse me, traveling to South Christian. Now, that being said, also Lamar taking on Sally, Wagner Sally, is the other game. In the upstate, what do you like in the 1A football up on that side as well? Yeah, Southside Christian, I think. I mean, I think the way they throw the ball and just uh, the points they can put up, I think they're just going to be tough to stop. Uh, they were my favorite, uh, at least in the upper state, uh, to get to the state championship game. So, um uh, I, I like them this week. And then Lamar, um, they know about winning and playing for state championships and against Wagner Sally. I think that has a uh, potential for a really good game and uh, two uh, two good offenses right there. And uh, Coach Wilkes has done a good job since taking over that program from Coach Fountain. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, they're, they're used to winning uh, from Jerry R. Boyd's time and then Co- Coach Fountain won a couple of state championships. So they're used to winning there and playing deep in the – uh, postseason, so uh, I like Lamar and Southside uh, Christian this week, and that would make for a good upper state championship game if it happens. Yeah, no doubt. Now, before we get you out of here, Lou, a couple of things, parting notes here. You mentioned Mr. Football. How are they going to do it this year? You can add that along with uh, the news coming out last week that the championship games are going to be held in two locations, Spring Valley and Benedict College, and then kind of give me your thoughts and opinion. How has recruiting you know, do you feel like it gets a, a thumbs up considering all the ups and downs and all the rounds of COVID or your thoughts on all three of those topics as you uh, give us your final minutes here? Yeah, um, Mr. Football, I think it's going to be announced during the state championship weekend, uh, either that Friday or Saturday. It's usually during the North-South game, um, but uh, obviously North-South and Shrine Bowl not being played this year. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, – there's five uh, pr- pretty good candidates there um ingram dawkins is the highest ranking highest ranked uh uh, prospect in the group but they're still a talented group i know ahmad green from may river and you mentioned willis lane before so uh, a lot of talented guys so it will be interesting to see who comes out with that um yeah splitting into two sites not having at williams bryce we kind of knew that was going to happen uh commissioner singleton said that a few weeks ago that uh, williams bryce is just not an option the way uh, things have uh, played out this year. Benedict's used to host some championships. They usually host one, the 1A and 2A. Uh, now they'll be hosting three games, uh, one on Friday, two on Saturday. Spring Valley with each on one on uh, Friday, one on Saturday. I haven't said the classifications yet, uh, but if I had my guess, I think maybe the bigger classifications would be at Spring Valley and one, two, and three at Benedict. Uh, they haven't announced the capacities yet, um, so – uh, I'm hearing kind of maybe around maybe 2,200 at Benedict, but it uh, could be wrong. could be more, could be less. So I'm not sure about Spring Valley, uh, what they're going to be able to, the capacity they're going to let in. But, yeah, it, it's been a strange year uh, with COVID and uh, recruiting. It's <laughs> kids of, I mean, the ones that have gotten offers and that, uh, you've seen them commit soon. I mean, and before the signing day and before, uh, I think they took good advice and 
uh, the way things not being able to have visits and everything. I think uh, they're doing the best they can, trying to get their film out and uh, to coaches and uh, get their names out, the ones that are still looking uh, for places to play. So it, it's been tough. I feel bad for uh, the players and I mean, because they can't do visits. Uh, they can do, obviously, Zoom calls and that. And, but there's something about being on campus um, and attending games and stuff like that. Uh, I know Division Two, you've been allowed to do it. But uh, Division Two hasn't been playing football. But at least you're allowed on campus, and at least uh, I've seen a lot of Division Two coaches at games uh, these last few weeks, uh, being able to scout and uh, uh, see see who are some of the top guys that they want to bring in as well. Should be a good time as always, Lou. Thank you so much. I know you're very busy, man. I'm glad you and the fam are doing well. That's uh, it. Never again. 2020 has kept us busy, and just guess what? We still got at least three more weeks of some football, and who knows when they announced the uh, information at the University of South Carolina, buddy. Thanks for your time. How do they find you and follow you guys over there and yourself over at the state, buddy? Yeah, you can read all of our stuff at the state at www.state.com, and you can follow me at Lou at the State on Twitter. Uh, Thanks again, Rich, for having me on, and uh, we'll talk again soon. You got it, buddy. There's a guy that by all means is one of the nicest dudes in the business, and he will always do what he can to help us out here on Southern Sports Central. I look forward to catching up with Lou during this time of year because this gives us the chance to say hello and catch up and kind of show some pictures of our families and all that good stuff because even though – you know, we might not be on the field, and we kind of are, but it's a different type of family bond that all of us here in the broadcast booths or down on the field get a chance to do. And it's a, it really is a fraternity of, of many of us, and, and we're very blessed to have so many great men and women that come on this show, on this network, to believe in this dream on a regular basis. And I can't say enough how much I am thankful for as we are coming into the Thanksgiving season, right? We're about a week away. This Thursday will be one week away from that special day and so many things to be thankful for. And I want to say that I'm so thankful for your listeners, for the supporters, for all those who contribute to Southern sports central, who believe in Southern sports central, who don't look down upon, you know, anybody who does what they believe that they are called to do, or maybe that they do in general, that they follow their dream and their heart and their vision. I support guys that do things like that. And I hope you do as well. We got a break because it's time now to go to the principal's office where our celebrity, and I did say celebrity, guest picker is coming in, and that is our friend and yours. In the principal's office we go right out of this break to Coach Kevin Steele. He'll join us right out of this break. Guys, don't go anywhere. We are picking five and four brackets right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all the children of ages, we bring in the man with the plan. He runs the school up in uh, Berkeley County. It's called uh, 
Well, Berkeley High School, Monk's Corner, South Carolina, where the Stags play football, baseball, basketball, badminton, and a few other great things. And that is the man, Coach Stephen Steele. Coach, good afternoon and welcome back to Southern Sports Central as our celebrity guest picker tonight for the conferences of 5 and 4A football. Gene, I'm going to let you work your magic here. I believe he's having an issue there trying to connect. I'll let you take him to the green room, if you will. Make sure that we've got the coach in here with us. Uh, as you start to kind of uh, put things in perspective, and I see somebody tagging me over there talking about it. I hope he has the paddle. I lost so much money listening to Altman's picks. I should have asked Richie Incognito, who also knows nothing. <laughs> oh, the world of Twitter is a mean, cruel world, and I love every bit of it. It's what we do here on Southern Sports Center. I do want to thank Lou Bizjack, who uh, jumped in here with us uh, just moments ago and, and, and talked some football with us. Eugene, I believe we're going to have the principal try to call back in here in a minute. We've got an hour, so we've got plenty of time to do what we do here um, on Southern Sports Central. And again, you know, learning what we've learned and heard what we're able to hear, and I believe we do have them. And let's head out now to, of course, uh, the principal's office with our celebrity guest picker, Coach Steele. You got us, buddy? Yeah, I got you. I heard everything fine just a second ago. That's weird. I don't know. Hello? You know, it's a it's a it's a dead world sometimes out here, man. We do the best we can. We only have what we have here, Coach. I know you're uh we're we're in big presence right now with a guy like yourself. Which, by the way, let me do this before we start picking some things, Coach. Thank you so much for the hospitality a couple weeks ago as uh, you welcomed in Southern Sports Central to do what we did on Friday night. For the first of, uh, of the only game, by the way, that we did call on the broadcast. Uh, so thanks for the hospitality between you and your uh, athletic director, your coaching staff, and everybody was an amazing group of folks. And by the way, your radio broadcast fed us some ribs, I believe, from uh, that famous place right around the corner from the stadium. Music Man Barbecue. <laughs> everybody who comes into town wants to have the address to Music Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's a great place. To be, uh, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about your team, Coach. Uh, you guys played well Friday night. Uh, I, I thought you guys, of course, playing down a guy, right? Your quarterback took a bad hit on uh, – took, took a football hit. I got to make sure I clear that up. But took a football hit on Friday night the week before. But, again, I know Trey Miner well on the baseball field and the football field as well. But your team around you with Butler and so many other playmakers that were out there on Friday night just watching – you guys pick each other up. I thought volumes of the character of what you guys did on the road, Coach. Well, the big thing about it was is is that, you know, if we had a backup quarterback in, end up throwing a pick six, and then we also had a block punt for a scoop and score for a touchdown. So there's 14 points right there. Uh, the game was really a lot closer than what, what a lot of people were quite frankly expecting, you know, David Shelton being one of them. And so our kids went up there did what they do with Berkeley Stags and fought hard all night long. Couldn't be more proud of them. Yeah, I would agree with you. I thought they did a, a really good job and represented the low country. Now, your thoughts, and now, Coach, you played your days in Somerville. You've played college ball. You've been a part of the coaching tree for a long time. Now you're the uh, the man, the big dog over at uh, Berkeley County, over there at uh, Berkeley High School in Monk's Corner. But have you ever seen 13 teams in and 10 of them knocked out all in one week? And I think that's kind of the, the 2020 version of high school football. I guess it's uh, Friday the 13th at its best, right? 
it was something to behold because as we were coming back from Sumter, we kept checking scores of other teams because, you know, once your team's out, you want somebody from the low country to do well. A lot of friends in a lot of different programs and all. And, um, you know, it, it, it was amazing. Uh, some games out there, the Fort Dorchester game obviously sticks out. Uh, Goose Creek with Carolina Forest stuck out. I mean, it was it was something. <laughs> it was not something anybody could have predicted with the pigskin pickers. That's no doubt. Now let's get to these picks. Uh, Eugene, you know how we do this, Coach. Let me give you kind of the breakdown. What I'll do is I'll give us the game, and then I'll go to mm-hmm. you. I'll say your name. You'll give me your selection. You can give me details if you got them. Eugene, you know I'll go to you, and you'll do the same. And that's how we'll kind of go through it. And, of course, we do want to welcome in our uh, – well, we'll say this segment brought to you by Music Man Barbecue. I'm going to write that down so I give them the love here tonight because it is their principal, Coach Stephen Steele, joining us here tonight from Berkeley High School and, of course, played for former legendary coach. He's still a legendary coach in our eyes, of course, Coach John McKissick over at Somerville and then, of course, played his college ball and then got into coaching. But now, tonight, he's going to be a celebrity guest picker. So, that being said, let's start off with Dutch Fork and Carolina Forest, guys, two teams that have seen each other before, and they've seen each other often. Now, that being said, Dutch Fork, until you beat the man, you got to keep crowning the man to some. Carolina Force for the second year in a row, knock out Goose Creek and the Gators. Coach, let me ask you your opinion, Coach Steele. Who do you got on the Dutch Fork-Carolina Force matchup in the Elite Eight? What I will tell you is I'm going to go with Dutch Fork for the exact same reason like you said. It's a lot different when you coach kids who've been to state championships. They ha- They understand what it takes. They, they're at home, I, I think, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, they're at home. Um, they know what it takes. They've been through the battles. They've got a quarterback in there who's basically did a, a one-shot wonder up there and looking forward to doing good things, and I think they've got all that it takes. Carolina Forest has a really good coach. They're retired out of North Carolina that came in over there at Carolina Forest and rebuilt the program. I'm just not sure that they're quite ready to take the next step yet. All right, so he goes Dutch Fork. Eugene, my brother from another mother, who do you got? on the matchup on the top side of the Elite Eight in the lower state. Uh, well, I'm rolling with the principal, man. Uh, he's the captain of the ship tonight, and uh, we're going to go down with him. So, um, Or we're going we're gonna to sail to the promised land. I'm going with Dutch Fork. I think they uh, had some low scoring and some tough matchups and just didn't seem normal uh, early in the season, but they're peaking at just the right time, which is playoffs. I'm going to go with your picks as well, guys. I think Dutch Fork brings a lot of things. And, you know, when you heard Lou, he mentioned a bunch of receivers, but he didn't mention what? He didn't mention the little Hyatt. That's right, Justin Hyatt's little brother. He's still there. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what we uh, – as I'm getting a message from another coach here. <laughs> that being said, uh, when you start to kind of put it all in perspective, I love the factor that Dutch Fork continues to do what they do. And Tom Knox said it best. He let me in his locker room, by the way, last year, guys, and he said – During that state championship game, he said, guys, right now, at this moment, this is the most important thing in your entire life. When this game is over, we'll reposition everything. But right now, at this moment, this is the only thing that matters. I think he's one of the great ones, and until you beat him, you got to keep crowning him. I'll go Dutch Fork as well. Let's go to the lower side, a team that, Coach, well, you got a chance to see in Sumter. I got a chance to see in River Bluff. Coach, I'm going to go back to you in this one. River Bluff, Sumter, they do head to Sumter, by the way. Yeah, I'm taking River Bluff on this one. I think with a split back option attack out of the shotgun and with, quite frankly, you know, just the game planning and everything else, I'm going to go ahead and give the nod to River Bluff. Sumter Wild does have really good players and really good team and all. 
I mean, for us to come in there and do what we did, I think a, a fully healthy River Bluff, great coaching staff, great facilities, great administration up there. I'm going to go with them. And, you know, the other thing is something personal also. My team lost to them last week, and my last high school football game was at Sumter, so I'll never pick Sumter. So I'll be honest about that one. <laughs> All right, Eugene, can you top off that one? <laughs> I don't know if I can top it off. Um I'm actually going to go opposite of him. I'm going with Sumter. Uh, I'll take their offense uh, a little bit more. I think they show a little bit more balance. Now, can River Bluff shut down a passing attack two weeks in a row, or did they just catch lightning in a bottle against Fort Dorchester? I'm going with the latter, and I'm going to take Sumter in this game. I'm going to go with the principal because I'm trying to stay away from a paddle this week. I got paddled last week. I'm going to go River Bluff. I like number four. I think he's the difference maker. Those two-headed monsters in the backfield, what they do is they run number four a lot. They then throw in number 11. It's all ran, I believe, by number seven, the quarterback. He did a great job playing the game that was in front of him. He took what the off, the defense gave him. On the other side, Eugene, I don't think they caught lightning in a battle. I think they caught up to what they needed to, and that's game film. And the thing that I can tell you, if you can stop the door, the Fort Dorchester Patriots, the number one team in the offensive scheme of things coming into the playoffs, then I don't think they're going to have a lot of problems. Even though I've got a lot of respect for the quarterback over there at a place like Sumter, I think River Bluff comes out and surprises everybody and heads in to the final four into the next round, and we'll see who wins that battle. Now, again, that has uh, the matchup between Dutch Fork and River Bluff as they played in week one. Remember, guys, when they played week one, they had not played – well, it was week one for River Bluff. I think it was week three for Dutch Fork. Coach, you remember that as far as COVID, I think it kind of landed River Bluff on the backside. That's exactly correct, is that when they first – when they played this year, I think – River Bluff, and I'm I'm doing this totally from memory. River Bluff had missed had started the season later because the way the conference alignment came in, but they also had the COVID issue and ended up having to push it back. I think them and Lexington High School both had to do that. So you know, give Knotts credit having team ready third third game of the year versus another team who's basically not had any scrimmages or anything. Yeah, I agree with you. Now T.L. Hanna and Gaffney are going to square off in the Upstate. Two teams, very good. Gaffney, we know what they can do. Little John is kind of a big name in a, in a town like Gaffney. Coach, I know you played against probably half that team that was named Little John in your day when you were at Somerville. T.O. Hanna, well, we know the story about their deal and what they've got together. But I heard Lou, I understood Lou, and it's that running game of T.L. Hanna that uh, impresses me. But on your side, Coach, who do you like in this heavyweight matchup on a Friday night coming up this week? Uh, I'm going with T.L. Hanna for that exact reason. I just think the coach they got in is retired and out of Georgia. He's done a fantastic job while he's been up there at T.L. Hanna. Uh, rebuilding the program. I think they got a new coach this year, correct? Or last year? I believe so. Yeah. I can't remember. They've rebuilt that entire program where a few years ago that program was basically dead. And they have um, done just a fantastic job rebuilding the program up there. I feel bad. I don't remember who the coach is right this second. But they've done a fantastic job facilities-wise. Superintendent's really built into the programs up there. And I want to go to Yohanna just because hard-nosed running at this time of year when the weather's cold is a lot easier to do than wide receivers with their hands cold. Oh, look at you, man. I tell you what, dropping some knowledge on a Monday night on Southern Sports Central. Coach, I like it. How about you, Coach Benton? Who do you got? 
Ooh, that, you know, it, it's hard to follow up and it's hard to argue with this guy, but I know where he's coming from. I mean, you know, uh, uh, when the principal played ball back in the day, you know, it was a lot of running the ball and three yards and cloud of dust. I'm just kidding, principal. I'm just kidding me. Um, I'm actually going with Gaffney in this one. Gaffney is still my team, I think, uh, to win the state title in 5A if they can beat Dutch Fork. Um, you know, they can still run the ball. Uh, you know, they've proven and, and beaten teams like Dorman. You know, they've beaten pretty much everyone they, that, that uh, have come in contact with. Um, they do have out athletes that can catch, uh, but also they can play defense. And that's the thing is that Hannah, uh, if you look at the scores and they played these teams, you know, uh, they, they played two teams that were very good teams. Both teams made the playoff in Hillcrest and Ridgeview. Both of those games were very close. Uh, Hannah didn't score the type of points they've been scoring all season. Uh, so I just, I'll take Gaffney in the experience of having a much tougher conference and still coming out unscathed. Now let me ask you this, uh, and it's hitting me this kind of way, Eugene. Remember the movie Radio? Where's he from? T.O. Hannah. T.O. Hannah. And in honor and in remembrance of a man that we would know, of course, uh, as Radio, a guy that is from the state of South Carolina who passed away last year. He was one of a, a handful of legendary guys that left us last year. I want to go not only for the reason that they can run the game, but in honor of and respect that we will remember radio forever on Southern Sports Central. And I'm going to go with the coach. I'm going to go in remembrance of radio. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly why I picked T.L. Hanna to win this game on Friday night over Gaffney. Should be a good one. Dorman Northwestern. Coach, give me the breakdown between two, and I mean heavyweight matchups from the University of Dorman over there to Northwestern. Well, I'm telling you a little secret. Northwestern coaching staff has done one of the best turnaround jobs. I just talked about T.L. Hannah doing that just a minute ago, so I feel like I'm recording record. T.L. I mean, um, excuse me, Northwestern has done a fantastic job up there with Coach Wofford. Coach Wofford, I obviously knew his dad. He coached back in the day at um, Berkeley High School, yeah, way before I coached there, but I knew of him when I was just coming through. He's done a fantastic job, offensive coordinator, Wando, offensive coordinator, um, hand-in-hand, just a great, really great guy trying to build the program in the right way, having to compete against all the schools up there to do the recruiting up there in that area, and has just done a fantastic job. Dorman, what can you say about Dorman? I mean, it, facilities, they have this, they have that. They have a great balance to attack on offense, on defense. They're running the same schemes they've been running for a while all to great success, and there's a lot of great abilities, too, when you have kids who are used to running the same schemes, doing the same things, from B team all the way to varsity. By the time they get up to that varsity letter level, they're able to really just play ball. They don't have to think so much. Uh, so when looking at these two games, um, Northwestern with coming up uh, back from, quite frankly, from not being very relevant in the state of South Carolina the past few years, and then you also look at the traditions of Dorman, I'm going to go ahead and go with Northwestern to go with the uh, – prodigy with coach Wofford. Wow. Look at that, man. All that knowledge, dropping it in and style is your principal of the night. And every night over there in Berkeley County is coach Steele. All right, Eugene, who do you got, buddy? Well, I'm, I'm actually going against him again. I feel like uh, one of us <laughs> is about to be in trouble and uh, it's probably going to be me, but you know, uh, Dorman has been to the state title game back to back or, or, or so many years around over the past five, six years, um, they have the same talent for the most part. 
same coaches, same facilities, all those wonderful things that make the, that make a championship team. Their one blemish, one blemish all year, was losing to Gaffney in a last second. Uh, play. It was a missed field goal by Omar Khan, who's probably the best senior kicker in the state of South Carolina. It was a very makeable, easy chip shot thing. Uh, you know, bless the kid's heart. You know, I, I know it hurt him. Um, and, and they lost by one point. And that was actually a very cold night. It was very an unusual temperature game um, for them in the upstate for that time of year. But uh, I just think Dorman is ready uh, to make that next step again. Um, Northwestern, I was, you know, I picked them to beat Hillcrest. Uh, I thought they were in a very tough region. And, and, and like uh, Mr. Steele said, you know, they battled pretty hard. They got uh, a, kind of this upcoming staff that's kind of building this toughness culture in that area of Rock Hill where, you know, toughness used to be only associated with South Point. You know, they got, they got it by beating, you know, teams like Ridgeview earlier in the year and things like that and holding on. Uh, but I just think um, – I think Dorman just has too many stars. They're used to playing this type of game. It's on the road um, up at Dorman. You know, they're, they're home at the university, you know, where it's comfortable and nice. And I'm just going with Dorman in this one. Man, and he says all that, and then he says, I'm just going with Dorman. <laughs> okay there, Coach Benton. I got you, brother. Look, I like Dorman because, like Coach said this early in Austin, and that is you've been here before. Dorman is very familiar with this situation. They are very – I would say uh, dialed in at this point. Yeah, they might not have looked it in certain times, but I think at this point in time, after winning big against the Boiling Springs teams, first time they saw each other, and they don't live that far away from one another, now they see a Northwestern team, which, by the way, is very good and, and seasoned, if you will. But I like Dorman in this one. Dorman's kind of one of those ones, for me, when the season came out, I, I kind of picked them to win, you know, uh, at least the upper state uh, of 5A. I kind of thought they were going to be the team that uh, somebody else in the lower state would have seen. But that didn't work out for me neither. However, I'm going to go Dorman on that one. So, here we go uh, as we look at 4A football. And, uh, again, I can't wait to hear Coach Steele's breakdown. He does it in fashion. He is our celebrity guest here tonight. We'll have another one, by the way, on Wednesday night. And we're heading – to Hanahan, and uh, Coach uh, Art Craig joins us on uh, Wednesday night for that one. Now, here we go, Coach. Uh, we look at the 4A version of things, and this is Buford, Myrtle Beach. I think this could be one of the most intriguing games of the night, not just in 4A, but across the state because of the ball players on both sides. Buford is hosting Myrtle Beach. The Seahawks are pretty good at home, not as much on the road as some would say. Your thoughts on Myrtle Beach and Ryan Berger coming down and playing a big guy like Eamon Smalls and those boys in Buford. i tell you what, Buford, uh, they had, I think this was the third coach in four years. I think this coach has been there for two or three years now because the other coach, uh, one coach retired, one coach went to South Point as head coach, right? Right. And then this coach is a second year at Buford. Um, this is what I would say is those guys down there in Buford are always tough kids. They're always ready to go. Some great athletes down there, great program. Um, I'm, I've seen that place rocking and rolling at a home game down there, so it's really hard for me not to pick Buford. But I will just say watching Myrtle Beach play, watching Myrtle Beach's skill positions, seeing how they do the things that they do up there, I, it's hard for me to pick against Myrtle Beach even on the road. I think everything you said is very, very true, but – I think Buford has got his uh, can muscle it, but I think that uh, Hanny, excuse me, that um, 
when you said Hanny on Art Craig before you threw me off. And I, I was thinking, wait a minute, Hanny Hand's not in four A. But um Myrtle Beach is gonna be able to go down there and move the ball around through the air. I just don't think that um Buford's seen enough of the air attack this year. Mm, look at that, breaking it down in fashion. Coach Benton, your thoughts, uh, Ryan Berger, do you have J.J. Jones ready to roll? Of course, the other athlete over there, Randall, is he up and running, but uh, defensively Myrtle Beach is pretty good too. Your thoughts on a team like Buford hosting Myrtle Beach, which we got eyes and ears on the ground, Southern Sports Central. We'll have a reporter down there as well. Well, I do have a little bit of information. Like I said, I, I talked to the boys the other night. Um, they were back at it, you know, and uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. It, it, Ryan was uh, texting about, you know, being on the bus on the away game, being that you're Myrtle Beach and how they've had so many years of being that one seed and always playing at home, uh, riding back from South Aiken after uh, putting up a lot of points and um, uh, almost embarrassing South Aiken. They're ready to roll. He's healthy. You know, Randall's back. J.J., of course, is ready. They've already shown that they can win in the special teams game. You know, defense can make can also play very well. Uh, to me, Buford is a, a, all about defense, and I think that's kind of a continuation of when uh, Coach Holloman was there. Uh, I just don't think they can get into a scoring competition, and I don't think they can score uh, as well as Myrtle Beach. You know, the only game that Myrtle Beach didn't score on average of 40 points was when Berger, Randall, et al. went out in the first quarter against North Myrtle Beach, who I think is a more talented team. But when you're missing your stark uh, wide receivers, and, and, you know, a guy with a Clemson offer that says a lot about his talent, you know, and the quarterback, you know, of course you're not going to put up many points. Um, but that's why I strongly uh, feel like Myrtle Beach has got this one even on the road down in uh, Buford. You know, guys, I went back and forth on this one. You know, I have a heart, but they also, you know, being from the Grand Strand, that, there, there's that connection too. But I have to put all that aside. I really do. And a team that's been here before, that's played here before, is led by a coach that knows what he's doing here before. And that, of course, over there with all of the goodness out of the Seahawks of Myrtle Beach, that is, I think Ryan Berger is uh, seasoned. He put in all that work last year that's going to probably play a huge part, latter part into uh, not only this week, but going forward, having Randall back, having J.J. Jones back. They've got a running back, by the way, as well, that you don't hear as much about because of that high-flying power air attack, if you will. They also have a couple of DBs that you don't hear about that are also going to play some football on Saturday afternoons. I think Myrtle Beach comes in and steals one. I don't think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. I, I think it's going to come down to Ryan Berger putting this thing in between a couple of big defenders like Daryl the Pass or whoever else is out there and stealing one on the road. And again, uh, you know, I wanted to go one way, but I'm going to go Myrtle Beach on this one. So I think the Seahawks find a way to win. They've been here before. And it will uh, be into the matchup that we talk about next. And this one is an interesting one because it could lead to a rematch between North Myrtle Beach and Myrtle Beach. But North Myrtle Beach has to take out North Augusta first. Now, North Myrtle Beach, man, I got to be honest with you. Chase Simmons is the deal. I think he's the spark plug on this one here, Coach. I want to ask you, Coach Steele, you see a team like North Myrtle Beach defensively, very impressive. Offensively, they're doing the things that they need to. North Augusta kind of, to me, no disrespect to North Augusta, but they're the Cinderella of the 4A bracket right now. Do you think Cinderella gets to see another Cinder one? I'll tell you a little secret. North Augusta had a horseshoe stuck up their butts for so long, it's not even funny. In 1991, they had a losing record going into the playoffs, made the playoffs and won state championship in 1991. It was one of the first teams ever to get into the playoffs 
with a losing record and win a state championship. So North Augusta High School, quite frankly, has always had all that going for them down there. Um, great program, great tradition down there. They've done a lot of great things. They just got through with Masters Week, which, you know, if you've been around the Masters, you know all the high schools around there make as much money as they can during the Masters Week. Um, and, you know, a lot of schools down there lost money because of the Masters being played this time of year and not having the galleries and everything else. Um, what I would say to you this is it, North Myrtle Beach is a juggernaut right now. It would be hard for anybody in the state of South Carolina to pick against North Myrtle Beach. I know we don't always agree on everything, but I'll be truly shocked if everybody in this, on the radio tonight doesn't go to North Myrtle Beach. I'm not saying North Augusta doesn't have a chance. I'm just agreeing with everything that you said. The defense is stellar. Offense does the things not to get themselves in trouble. And I think next week's game, if that holds true, could be a real showdown up in Myrtle Beach. And guess what? What's cool about that one, Eugene, before I come to you on that, I'll be in Myrtle Beach next Friday night. So wherever they're playing at, Southern Sports Central will have boots on the ground. So I just need Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle Beach to do what they need to do so that we can be right wherever it is. And I'm thinking North Myrtle Beach would be hosting it. But without that, Eugene, your thoughts between a guy that, ooh, this is going to come down to a personal conversation after you get off the radio, if you don't pick North Augusta. But let's see what you got in the tank, Eugene. Well, you know, uh, uh, you, you've seen this text messages, and I already have a bet on the game. If uh, they win, I have to go drive over to North Augusta and become a personal chef for an evening, uh, which would be great fun um, <clears throat> after the Masters is over. Uh, you know, here's the thing is they're getting back. They're starting left tackle. Their tight end is a kid that um, <laughs> we just got a text from them. Uh, their tight end is a kid that has D1 offers. You know, can both of them – line up uh, that tight end and that left tackle and stop Chase. We, we've seen a lot of the best players around the country on the offensive line uh, from, from all over, uh, all the way out to, to Missouri, line up and try to beat him, and they weren't successful. I mean, some of the greater players from North Carolina in Georgia, I mean, he is very good, and he has these D1 offers for a reason. Um, you know, I would love to pick North Augusta in this game. I would love to get some kudos from my homeboy. He knows I love his son. I'm a big fan. Uh, I would love to see a high-scoring game, uh, and I would love to see his son end it uh, by winning it by kicking a field goal. However, if I'm putting a betting reputation on the line, uh, i got to be smart and go with the defense of North Myrtle Beach. I mean, honestly, I think this is their year. I, I was kind of thinking the North Myrtle Beach defense versus a Flora offense in the state title game would just be a, a, a great game to see. Well, I tell you what, Tim, you're having a lot of fun, and I know you're listening and supporting us in fashion. I hope that doesn't change your opinion after this pick that I've got to put out here. And I get that you took North Myrtle Beach to three overtimes last year with uh, a team that may not have been as good as this year. But my brother from another mother, man, you better be on the field to play against Chase Simmons. That's all I'm going to tell you. That's your best bet. And I can't go against the boys up there. And the Chiefs, all oh, the Chiefs are going to have their night Friday night. And, Eugene, you will not have to be cooking for anyone unless you want to make a bet with me and go against it. But that being said, I'm going to go North Myrtle Beach. I'm going to tell you Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach, rematch from what you saw just a couple of weeks ago will be the conversation in, low, uh, in the lower part of the 4A football game. Now we look at the upper state coach deal. Let's go up to West, excuse me, Irma. Irmo and Catawba Ridge. Coach, I don't know a whole lot about Catawba Ridge, but I know a lot about Irmo. Oh, and so do you. I got to tell you a bet. Let's see if you bet with 
or against Irma, who I know played a lot of hell and havoc in your life when you played this game called High School Friday Night Lights? Oh, Irma never bothered me, so I don't. I, I've got a win record against Irma, so I don't have any problems with Irma. Um, no, I, what my answer to the question would be is the Catawba Ridge, and uh, just op- it's been around for a few years now. It's been building a program, doing it the right way. They got the right coaching staff in. They've committed the kids. They've built the culture. Anytime a coach can coach can come in, build culture, and get kids right and everything else. Irmo is always an enigma to me. It's been an enigma to me since I was a small child to when I coached, when I played, and everything else. You never know what you're going to get with Irmo. Um, there for a while in the 80s, obviously, they were a great program, powerhouse program for a long time. Then as more and more schools kept getting built, then, you know, the talent levels go down. I asked a high school about that one. And I will, I will just put it like this. On this one, I would I, I hesitate to take a bet on this one, but I do like um, the idea of somebody from Catawba winning, so I'm going to take Catawba, just purely because I think the name's cool. <laughs> I knew you were going there, Eugene. Before I throw in my 35 cent, man, what do you got on a night where you see Catawba Ridge and Irmo squaring off? That's two number seeds in the upper state 4A football game. Well, it's kind of funny. So I had no idea where Catawba Ridge was, and Louie explained to us, that it was a two-year-old school. So I started thinking about it, and you know I go up to Charlotte every Sunday working with the uh, with um, Dan Older, who, you know, the NFL kicker, and taking some of the kickers up there every Sunday. Right before you get into like that, that Rock Hill, Charlotte area, you cross over the Catawba, I guess the Catawba River Basin or something. So now it's all coming mm-hmm. together. Now I see it's those kids that's kind of like that Northwestern, uh, South Point, Rock Hill, Clover, all those kids. So now you know that they are, you know, talented kids, and, and all those schools have good facilities and great coaches. Um, Irmo showed me a lot by knocking off Coach Early and Westside. Uh, as such, I, I'm going with Irmo. I think even in Catawba Ridge being a two-year school and having talent, they're still new to this game. Irmo's been around for a while. Uh, they haven't won big, you know, in a while. However, uh, you know, th- that – they they put everybody on notice by going up to Westside, and uh, really they just punched Coach Early and those kids in the mouth. And I mean, the Coach Early has a great quarterback. They have great defense, special teams. You know, Irmo coming away with that win just they they said, hey, you know, four A football, we're here in the north, and y'all better recognize. So I'm going with uh, Irmo on this one. Guys, I like both your picks. However, I've got to come down to one. I'm kind of the deciding factor, at least on this game. And, again, I, I got a lot of respect for you, Catawba Ridge, but you haven't proved enough to me yet. I haven't seen you dancing quite enough around this time of year. So, for me, I do know Irmo. I'm very familiar with Irmo. I've got a lot of dudes and young men that I knew growing up that went to Irmo. And I've heard a lot about the guys at Irmo because I spent 14 years at Somerville, and that seemed to be a team that Somerville would play back in the day every single year. And as you heard from our principal right here on Southern Sports Central, Coach Steele said he took care of business when he was there. But it still always was one of those big rival games year after year that you always knew that those two teams would see one another. So you know that they've been here before, they've done it before, and while it may have been a minute since they've been here, I'm going to go with a team that has been at this party before when it comes down to handling business. I'm going to go Irmo on this one, guys. Now, the final game before we get in here with a few questions for the principal tonight. South Point, AC Flora. You know what? I went against South Point early. Man, I might have learned a lesson, Coach Holloman. Let's see before I give you my pick. How about it, you guys? AC Flora 
Can they handle business against South Point or does South Point have another upset in the bag? Coach Steele, you're up first. I don't want to see AC Flores offense across the field for me as a coach or a player. I'll make this one real quick. AC Flores. <laughs> they got that offense is just freaking smoking. <laughs> Eugene, top it off, my friend. Well, you know, I was going for them for the same thing. I mean, to see a team that scores 60 points a game and it doesn't matter what type of defense or who they're playing, uh, they just seem on offense this year to, to have their way. It almost seems like unfair with their quarterback coach, almost like if uh, he might be the new Spurrier of high school football calling up those plays. Uh, Perry York just looks like he's Spurrier in the zone, uh, drawing up plays in the sand on the sideline, and everything seems to be going for a touchdown in the passing game. So I'm definitely going for Flora. And I hate to – I don't want to pick up anybody else's time, but, I mean, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct about that. You know, when you hear a high school team scoring 60 points, you're usually thinking they're running the ball up on somebody. They're not. I mean, they just – their scheme, the way they're doing things, the way they have their players trained and everything else, you know, like Lou Holtz said, you know, we're – no, Bobby Bowden told Lou Holtz, you know, you're paid to stop us. But, I mean, they're not trying to run the score up. But, I mean, my goodness, that offense is high-powered. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I, I remember, uh, you know, when you listen to all of us, by the way, guys, if you're listening and you're wondering why we didn't pick your team, hopefully this is one of those episodes from the King of Queens when uh, the father-in-law, right, was in the diner and he was giving people bad advice and maybe they took the other side. So maybe that's your luck. But I don't think that's the way it's going to go when AC Flora steps on the field. And uh, hopefully for Coach Holloman and those boys, and that's out of the state of South Carolina. South Point gets another victory and another opportunity to say, I told you so, but I just don't think, I just don't think that defense over there at South Point can slow down that AC floor. I have them picked to pretty much actually at the beginning of the year to win uh, the 4A division. Now I have put them on notice with North Myrtle Beach as one of those teams to maybe handle them, but I do feel it's an AC floor kind of sweep here on Southern Sports Central coming in to our final pick, and again, you've heard all of our picks with our guest celebrity all the way from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. He's the principal over there at Berkeley High School right around the corner from Music Man Barbecue, who, of course, uh, will be our unofficial but yet official sponsor of tonight's big-time celebrity guest pick'em at 5A and 4A High School Football. Now, Coach, let me ask you this. Uh, I believe you and I, along with Eugene and a few others, have a, uh, a standing date, if you will. Friday night, you and I will uh, be hanging out, along with Eugene, over there at Johnson Hagen Stadium. Did you get the hall pass yet? Have you signed it off? And is uh, the real principal in the still house going to let you come out and hang out with us? Listen, anytime they can get me out of the house, trust me, they're all for it. Um, long story short is, is I, I will be there Friday night. I was kind of hoping our plan would work out because I think that would have been really cool. Um, be honest with you, I just think that the um, way Oceanside is going right now, what uh, Joe Call's got going on down there, but I'm waiting for Joe Call to make sure I got some swag for Friday night. So you are going to be there. I can count on it. Is that what you were telling me? You said you won't be there. No, no, I, I will definitely be there. I'm going to try to get there down there as quickly as I can. Um, I got one meeting after school on Friday, on a Friday of, of all times. Book <laughs> that. I'm going to get down there as quickly as I can. Mark, you're the crying. principal. So, so you booked it. That had to come through your watch. 
No, let's just say there's somebody's name on the bottom of my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> that works. I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. Well, we're going to be there, and, and, and what I'm going to do, Coach Dill, is, um, by the way, I did let the other Coach Dill know that uh, you were going to be on here tonight. Uh, I'm going to get you two on the radio to have some fun and poke the bear a little bit. We'll do that during, uh, you know, our our recap of the season, if you will, after the all seasons are done here on the show. But I do have a plan that we can do some things, uh, you know, uh, at this uh, game pre before the game. Uh, I talked to Joe a little bit. We've got some ideas that we're working, and I think Oceanside's on board with what I'm thinking of doing. I just think it's a great opportunity to show the the unity of the low country, the unity of all of us here, and why we're doing it it's for the kids. I mean, that's one thing I will give you, Coach, is that yes, you are the principal at a high school over in Berkeley County, but your love and passion for any and every young child and everybody that comes across your path is amazing. Well, you know, the thing is, is that I've worked in different districts, I've worked at different places. The things that I found out is. Most kids are good. Most parents are good. Everybody just wants an opportunity to make sure that they can be what they what they want to be. And our job as as human beings and as educators is to make sure that they get reach potential that they want to reach. And if we do that, I don't care whether you're green and gold, blue and gold, red and black. I don't care about a lot of different things. I just care about making sure everybody's successful. And if we do that, we're really doing our jobs more so than anything. Now, you know, we'll joke around here. We'll play around and we'll pick teams. We'll tell funny stories and all because that's what I'm good at. But and truthfully, what you want to do is see all kids being successful, whatever that means to them. No doubt about it. We're here live with our guest celebrity. Yeah, we're decking him out on Friday night, by the way. He'll be with Southern Sports Central and the team on the air Friday night. We'll get with you, Coach, on that. If you'll send me your shirt size or send it to uh, yeah, send it to us, I'll make sure that Eugene has everything. We pass along whoever, however. But we make sure we'll get you something. If we've got to do what we got to do, we'll get it. But that being said, let me ask you this. Uh, off the level of high school, let's go up to the other level of college. Will Muschamp let go? And I've asked everybody on the show, so i got to ask you, and i got a lot of respect for your opinion on this. During the season, now you're a principal, and I don't know how all this works in high school. Does it go through you to, to park somebody on the high school coaching side as an athletic director? Does it go through, uh, you know, who, when, where, and how? You can answer that if you want, but – when it comes down to colleges, and it was Ray Tanner, that's not the easiest decision to make, but I'm feeling like he had a few other ropes pulling at him a little bit there, if you will. Your thoughts on Will Muschamp being let go on Sunday, and who, when, where, and how, how do they replace him, and who do they go after, and your thoughts all in one, Coach? Well, this is what I would say to you. Anytime a coach loses their job, you know, that there's a lot of decisions making upon that because, you know, they have families. And, you know, coach is only a small thing. And, you know, one thing that people really have a hard time is, is that, you know, they see a coach for two or three hours on a Friday night. They don't see all the hours that they are spending away from their children, away from their families, missing special events and everything else. And so it's really a family business. Um, coaching isn't one of those jobs. That it's just, you know, you go to work, you clock in and you clock out. I mean, you're really committed to it. You're looking, you know, doing your regular job and adding another 40 to 60 hours a week, losing your Sundays, losing your Saturdays and everything else. On the college level, you know, let's face facts. Um, I've been very fortunate to know a lot of college coaches and everything else, and everybody always says the same exact thing. There's two types of coaches, coaches that have been fired and coaches that are going to be fired. It's an expectation inside the business aspect, the business model of college coaching. When you start looking at the SEC, ACC, and the major college conferences, and even the smaller college conferences, 
you know, winning brings money. Uh, money is what makes the world go round. Athletic programs are not ran on state money. Um, most, a lot of people don't really understand that. Those monies are coming in from sponsorships, from ticket sales, from concession sales, from all these different money sources with the SEC TV network, the ACC TV network. So when your program is rightfully being praised or wrongfully being um, put down, you know, the head coach is the face of the organization. You know, University of South Carolina, personally, I think, has one of the best offensive line coaches in the United States of America with Wolf. I mean, you can't you can't argue that he's not one of the best ones around. Um, you know, you look at Coach Bobo. He was instrumental in a lot of different programs over the years. Nobody's, you know, things that work out at Colorado State. But his offensive game plans, I think, have been pretty much pretty successful. It's all about having the right places and the right right pieces in the right place. University of South Carolina had a major issue with injuries there for a while. Um, weight, they changed weight coaches this year um, because of that. You know, there's a lot of pieces that are involved in all this, whether that it's not just the head coach, it's all those assistant coaches. It's all the equipment managers. I mean, a new coach could come in and fire every secretary because they want to change the cultures. And it's always one of those things that when, you, when you're making one of those decisions at that level, it is a very heavy decision. It's a big decision. And let's face fact, it's a huge monetary position. I think I saw something today that Coach Much Champ, who I've met several times, and he you know, has some of our kids up at Berkeley High School that were up there with him. You know, he's got $25 million for being fired twice. You know, and um, Rick Bustle's the, you know, used to joke with me all the time saying, I just want to get a big-time job so I can get fired. <laughs> and so you've got to look at it like that. So personally, right. on, on, on a side note, you know, there's a business model. There's a professional model. The business model basically says we got to pay the bills, and the more and more negative publicity kills your recruiting, kills your recruiting, kills your ticket sales, your sponsorship sales, your golden spur sales, your diamond spur sales, because people don't want to see something that's not a competitive product. And who would who wants to you know? Let's face facts with the SEC. SEC is such heads and above better than every other conference to be a bad quote unquote team in the SEC almost as a conference championship in three or four other conferences. I mean, so that's the things you got to look at. I agree with you, coach. I think that's a great way and a great ending to uh, 50 minutes that I got with you here tonight on behalf of myself, Eugene, I can't wait to, to catch up with you. You always do though, man. I, you know, I saw you at week one. I was hoping to catch you at the final week as uh, we were guests over there in your backyard where I covered the Patriots and, uh, but nevertheless, your people treated me good, fed me and all that above. I do uh, enjoy Wayne and, and his zoo crew on the radio. They do a great job covering all of the action on Friday nights in the booth. They're entertaining to watch just as much as they are to, uh, to listen to on the radio. But, you know, that's that, that camaraderie that we have on the radio world and just social media that we do. But, uh, Coach, look forward to it. I'm going to see you Friday night. You know, let's grab something to eat, yeah. watch some football, and we'll talk some radio if I can get you there early enough. All right, Coach. Well, listen, I appreciate you guys so much for offering me tonight. I like the fact the way that you guys give me plenty of time to prepare each time and never telling me the questions, never letting me know within five minutes when I'm going to be on the air. So I, I do appreciate it. So if I said anything wrong tonight, I fully own it. I fully accept it. But all my picks I'm sticking with. <laughs> yeah, you are. And I'm going to tell you what, you've got so many of your staff that's told me, said, look, Whatever you do, don't give them time to prepare because it'll be a longer segment. Just get them at the last minute. This is some of your coaches, your staff, and some of your students were like, get them, get them good. Just wait till about three minutes before you need them. <laughs> well, listen, you did a great job then. <laughs> Coach, love hey, you, buddy. Y'all have a great night. Yes, sir. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye.
Man, I love this job, guys. I tell you, Southern Sports Central is much more than just a radio show. I'm sitting here with, uh, of course, Eugene, and we do this every Monday and Wednesday, and we'll be adding some shows to the menu as, of course, uh, you know, my schedule opening up just a little bit more uh, with uh, the unfortunate part. Again, my hearts and, and, and thoughts and prayers are with every senior who ended their season on Friday night, whether it, it was an extra game that the commissioner, and again, commission, great job giving them what they would call a bowl game. I know Ashley Ridge, you guys won against Conway. Congratulations to Shane Fiddler and the uh, boys of the Swamp Foxes. They did pick up a dub outside the playoffs, but a win is a win is a win, and they got that on uh, their own turf for the final time. Hampton Smith, along with a lot of the seniors that will walk off and walked off for the last time. You know, it's the hardest thing for me on Southern Sports Central when I talk about the final games and I talk about the final moments and memories. And one of the traditions that I started over Somerville and I carried it with me over to the fort was that at the last game of the year, be it playoffs or regular season, and it's always been playoffs since I've been on the radio, is, uh, is I call out the seniors. And I give you their first name, their last name, their height, their weight. And it's kind of a send-off, if you will. And sometimes it's a locked and loaded team, and it's a long 20-minute, it feels like, segment. But that's just what it is, and I could care less if it's a 20-minute or 20 seconds. It's giving honor to the young men that will walk across that field for the final time, or I'll send them off for the final opportunity to give them their salute on the radio. It's a big deal to me. And, you know, I started that tradition at Somerville. I brought it with me to the fort. And and so you guys that are at, at fort, you know, you guys gave it a great run, a great season, not just this season, but any other season that you played. Somerville, let me give you some love, because even though I wasn't with you guys this year in, 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 in presence as far as physically being there, please understand that I prayed for each of you guys. I've known you kids since you guys were Little League guys over at Satoma. I was with you guys during some of your best days prior to this year and some of your worst days prior to this year. I was here with you guys, needed me on a text message or a phone call. I've never not taking the chance to answer your phone calls. And this radio show, for all of that you are listening, is your radio show, especially, you know, the guys of Somerville. When Coach John McKissick, the legendary Coach John McKissick, told me years ago about building something that I believe in, instead of waiting for someone else, do it yourself because you'll appreciate it more and you'll work harder than you've ever worked. And all of a sudden, on created Southern Sports Central. My first guests were, well, very easy. Of course, uh, T.J. Hopkins, who now plays in the major leagues. You look at what he's able to do, amazing, right? And then there's another guy, Zach Bailey, who just tried out and had a tryout for, who is that? That is the, I believe, the Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots uh, got to do. And we had a couple of more big-time guys that would come in and came in throughout our time. That being said, it always will be a place very special to me, no matter where I work on a Friday night or where I hang out on a Saturday afternoon. I appreciate the time and the energy and the effort and the love. And like I said at the fort, for those people to welcome me and Southern Sports Central and all of us into their homes because they allowed us to speak to their young men, it was amazing. You know, Sawyer Bridges is one of those other three gentlemen that was the first three high school guests ever on Southern Sports Central. And it meant the world to me to have Sawyer Bridges, Travis Herring, and I mentioned uh, Zach Bailey, T.J. Hopkins, first four. They missed school. They came in, and Coach said, Rich, before they leave, call me so that I can time them to make sure they're getting from the studio back to the high school. That, my friends, was the debut of what we are living with and dealing with and having the opportunity to do what we do today. Again, I say all the hearts and prayers to all the 40 teams that turned in their pads 
last Friday and unfortunately, or this last Monday, unfortunately, this coming Monday, it'll be the same story. This time it'll be only 20, though. But it'll be 20 heavy hearts with some heavy eyes and understanding, probably not until Sunday, that their season has come to an end. But it's all not for nothing. The memories that you made and all that you took with you will always be a part of that. And I want you to remember the moments that you had when you were out there on that football field. We told you guys this years ago, that you play every down like it's your last down. You moment, you take every moment in that you can. And with that, Eugene, I'm going to let you say some farewell conversations, and then we'll head to the end of the show and be back with you guys on Wednesday night. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was just distracted by uh, uh, a recent troll account and, as well as some stuff going on with the Junior uh, Bowl. Um, you know, uh, I tell you what, uh, the picks are – the picks, I, I was looking back, and I want to make sure uh, we got everybody in. I do need to follow up either with you or Steele. Did he pick Buford or did he pick uh, Myrtle Beach? He picked he Myrtle picked Beach. Buford. Yeah, he picked oh, Myrtle Beach. I got to change that. Okay. Yep. I got to change he, that. He liked uh, Buford, but he picked Myrtle Beach. Okay, I thought because he mentioned the defensive stuff, and so I just want to make sure about that. But um, you know, it's always fun having the guests on like that. Definitely looking forward to uh, you know, maybe we can strap him up in some uh, uh that Carolina blue Panther. I, I don't even know what to call it, the Panther blue. Uh, I I really gotta look that up again. I used to know it, uh, color uh shirt and uh, maybe a hat or something, and and uh, have him on the sideline with Southern Sports Central Friday night. But it's always fun, man. It, uh, it, he is a, just a funny guy to have on. Uh, most people think of principals of being these, you know, like stuffy, you know, unfun, you know, rule guys or whatever. But, you know, he gets it, man. He, he grew up in the low country, grew up uh, and, and played football, played for Somerville, played for legendary Coach McKissick. Still has all these great friends, even though they've become, you know, rivals in a sense uh, in the local area. And it's just it's so cool to connect with someone like that and just see that other side you know, when they're outside of the building and just have a love for sports and or, or athletics, period, and the kids and things like that. So um, definitely looking forward to catching up with them Friday night, man. But uh, it's been a great show. You know, I always love having uh, Reggie on, and Kevin's always fun catching up. Um, gosh, <laughs> is it, it, it's winding down football season, and that seems really, really strange uh, because we started in late September. That it did. Man, and I tell you what, it's just, you know, it's a weird one for me. It opens up my schedule this week. I'll be at a practice tomorrow. Uh, I got invited, and to get invitations, you always take them. You know, I'll be at a game Friday night, you know, uh, and depending, uh, you know, which I think I will be uh, entertained by at least Myrtle Beach and or North Myrtle Beach or vice versa, if you will. I'll be up on the Grand Strand. I'm going to go back to mom and dad's and, and spend that, that, that Thanksgiving with my mom and dad. Be thankful for that opportunity. All of that. So uh, I will be either or at a gate on the Grand Strand as we'll be out and about. Brandon Bisco Bing will join me at that event as well as Eugene. We may put you to work. Now, we are going to end it with this. We have a guest picker on Wednesday night to do the one through the three. Art Craig, the head coach of, uh, well, Hanahan, the Hawks, will join us then, guys. On behalf of all of us, to all of you, God bless. Take care. We're going to send you off a little bit of common bond of high school football. There is nothing more intoxicating than the meld of emotions and sensations that is Friday night. Friday night is the sound of that crowd, the pride of that community, the way that that grass smells. I've never felt in my adult life the way that I felt on Friday nights. 
That's what those kids are playing for. They're playing for that emotion. They're playing for that brotherhood and all of that sensory input that comes from Friday night. That's why they're playing high school football in this country. It is this common thread that weaves through the American fabric. Whether you live in Compton, California, or you live in Appalachia, if you played the game at the high school level, you have this common bond of representing that community. Anyone who disparages where the game is based on myriad reasons, I'm not buying it. I'm around the game every day on these campuses. I see the impact it has on these young men. I see the way that these coaches are able to grow high school boys into NFL or professional men, and it's just beautiful.